Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. So there's plenty to talk about clearly in the world of sports right now to end out 2023. As a matter of fact, we never even got into, nor do I think we probably will, the whole like what were the biggest sports stories. I always got a kick out of that, like the year the Colts win the Super Bowl. What's the biggest sports story in Indy of the year? Well, I, I don't know. I Maybe, think the guy like, that won the 500 is the biggest sports story that year. Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. Wait, you think the guy, say that again, Eddie? I was being sarcastic. I was going to say. say. The driver that won the year the Colts won the Super Bowl was by far the biggest story of the year. I mean, or or any, you know, the, the biggest stories are always going to be whatever the the local teams do, whichever one had the biggest storyline amongst them, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. But but big storylines, you know, the, the Pacers obviously in Chicago to take on the Bulls. You've got the Colts getting set for the Las Vegas Raiders in a game that whoever would have guessed has AFC playoff implications, but we'll talk about that over the course of today. As a matter of fact, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is going to join us. JT the Brick, buddy of mine who used to do and still does some national radio but is very heavily involved in Raiders broadcast, is going to join us at 2.30 today. Uh, Denary going to try to jump on, depending on the Pacers' shoot-around times, up in the Windy City. But I'm going to begin with this, and kind of flippantly, admittedly, but it's not often that I admit where I'm wrong or where I do a mea culpa, okay? But I'm going to do both right here. You actually like mayonnaise? Well done. I do not. I hate it. I thought you had a change of heart last night. No. Darn it. Wouldn't that have been something? He just saw the dump on the coach of West Virginia, and he was like, you know what? I'm missing something here. By the way, did you block Derek Schultz? I blocked anybody who sent me the pictures of the mayo. Well, he tweeted a video of the mayo dumping I, at you, but did you block him? I saw it for five seconds, and then he's now blocked. Oh, ouch. That was the promise I made. If you send me the video, you're blocked, but... Give me a bowl game, Jimmy Cook, off the top of your head. I mean, a traditional Pax bowl Slayer. game. Oh, a traditional bowl game? I mean, uh, Sugar Bowl. Okay. The Sugar Bowl forever was the Nokia Sugar Bowl. I'm trying to think of what it is now. Do you know what it is now? Isn't is it, it the Allstate Sugar Bowl? That might be right. a long time. That might it be right. Is. Yep. Is it still the All-State Sugar Bowl? still the All-State Sugar Bowl. It's one okay. of the semifinal games this year. Forever the Orange Bowl was the FedEx Orange Bowl. Uh, is that What is it now? Do we know? It is the Capital Citrus. One Orange Bowl. Oh, yeah. The, the Rose Bowl. Does the Rose Bowl have sponsorship? Rose Bowl game presented by Prudential. Okay. But you understand my point. Yeah. There is no sponsor that gets... The reason that you buy sponsorship, like Husky Chocolate. Husky Chocolate sponsored Marcus Erickson's IndyCar ride because Husky Chocolate is big in Europe and they sponsor soccer teams and other such things. But Husky Chocolate isn't even available in the United States. It is now. But at the time that Marcus Erickson won the Indianapolis 500 in a Husky Chocolate car, 
Husky chocolate wasn't even available for purchase in the United States. So, like, you're losing out on a ma- – I mean, you want to talk about – don't get me wrong. I'm glad they were a huge partner, and I'm glad they were there for Marcus Erickson's efforts in IndyCar. But you have to wonder if their marketing department wasn't like – but they, they they had an arrangement he to sponsor him for a certain number of years, whatever else. There is no sponsor that gets more bang for their buck – than Duke's Mayo. I don't even know. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, what was it What was it formerly? What bowl game is that? I don't know. I really don't. Was it like the... Is that the former Outback Bowl? Or the former like Russell Athletic Bowl? Whatever it is... I know the Outback Bowl is still a thing. So what... Look up what bowl game it was. It might have been the former Russell Athletic Bowl or like the, the Chick-fil-A's the Peach Bowl. But literally, the entire, anybody, I mean, I'm at the gym last night and everybody's like, oh, the guy's going to have to get dumped in mayo. And I'm looking on on Twitter and like people are talking about like the mayo Do thing. you want to give it? I have it, but you go. Yes, it was originally commissioned as the Queen, Queen City Bowl, but it went through several name changes and it has been the Duke's Mayo Bowl since 2002. It replaced? No, since 2019. Sorry. Sorry. It started as a new bowl game in O2, yeah. and he's right about that. And then it went from Queen City to Continental to Meineke to Belk okay. since 2019. Was it, was it yeah, Russell Dukes. Athletic at one point, or is it just the, the Meineke Bowl? I'm trusting the Meineke Bowl, Meineke. I do remember. Okay, but my point being, I'll be honest, and I know that people will probably completely <laughs> laugh at me great, here. By the way. What's that? Your tweet last night was great. For those that didn't see it, Jake tweet. I'm I'm gonna paraphrase it, but something like if it's fourth and goal from the one with like two seconds left and you're down a point, you're taking a knee to avoid the Duke's Mayo Bowl. <laughs> Correct, made me die. It was great. I mean, honestly, like I'm thinking about with and some somebody's like, uh, if you think people know what this ref- is referencing, you're wrong. And I'm like, no, actually, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but my point is this: college football and bowl games, and there's a reason that I'm, I'm getting into all of this about the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Number one. And I'm not a mayonnaise consumer, but mayonnaise to me, Hellman's has cornered that market. It's like Band-Aid for, you know, adhesive strips or Kleenex Heinz or tissues, for Heinz sure. for ketchup. Yep. I, 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 the average American, until 10 years ago, if you asked him name a mayonnaise, immediately says Hellman's. And now all of a sudden, and I think Duke's might have been maybe big in the south or the southeast, but... It's like people know of it now. I didn't know of it until like three years ago until this horrific mayo bath started happening, which is the most disgusting thing. But it's it a, works. It's a college football game that's taking place, right? It's a bowl game, but it feels like a sitcom that has too much over-the-top product placement in your face. Yeah, like totally. the announcers, the sideline reporters are dipping the mayo in like a different – or it's, dipping the french fries in mayo – a different flavor you know what every it feels quarter. Like? Here's what it feels like. It feels like when you watch the 4th of July – the hot dog eating contest yeah. with Joey Chestnut and the broadcasters are like it's like a mockumentary where they're acting like it is that he's on par with like the miracle on ice sure. it's kind of the same thing like they're 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 making fun of how ridiculous the mayonnaise thing is but it works right yep but here's what i was thinking about last night as i was watching that i'm watching the duke's mayo bowl and i'm seeing the product placement to jimmy's point everywhere and then at halftime of the Duke's Mayo Bowl, they mentioned the Florida State-Georgia Bowl game and the fact that 27 Seminoles have opted out 
I don't blame them, to be honest with you. I get it. But 27 players for Florida State are transferring or opted out or they're not playing or they're getting ready for the draft or whatever it might be. And Georgia, I think, even had some players that are like, I'm good. And basically every program but the four that are playing for a national championship are first and foremost dealing with who is on their roster for the postseason. Right. Which means that the teams so far that have been immune to that sort of departure are those whose players deemed their bowl game to be something worth playing for. So when you factor in Duke's Mayo and, you know, as you said, progressive or whatever it was for the Rose Bowl, Prudential for the Rose Bowl and, you know, FedEx, whatever it might be. I would throw uh, Tostitos Tostitos Fiesta, Fiesta Bowl. but it's not that anymore. It's the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. Like, that's another one where it's like, I mean. But Tostitos was forever, yes. right? But my point being, these companies are paying massive amounts of money, probably upwards of a million dollars, if not more, for the title sponsorship. Who's going to be the first bowl game that says, we are the, if you are the directors of, like, like if we were going to do a bowl game, let's say Indianapolis is good. Here's what Indianapolis should do. When I become mayor of Indianapolis, after we throw all of the scooters into the White River, going to be easy because half of them just went out of business, and then the pedal bar's also gone. They're all going into the canal of the White River, right? So we've cleaned up the streets. So once we do that and we have the Circle City Bowl, the Circle City Bowl sponsored by, who's going to be our sponsor? Mug and Bun. The Mug and Bun Circle City Bowl, right? Well done. So we're going to have Mug and Bun pay a million bucks or whatever it might be. It's going to have to be a couple million. And we are going to say, listen, due to NIL and the wild, wild west that is the payment of college athletes, Yes, it is true that the Circle City Bowl, the first installment of it, the Quarian Company Circle City Bowl presented by Mug and Bun, which is going to be fun because everybody just drives up to the stadium, right, and parks right there. That bowl game is going to be the first that tells the players, we understand that you, those of you that are playing for Iowa State and taking on Minnesota, probably are not overly thrilled with this bowl game. So we're going to be the first one that says, if you win the game, fifty thousand per player. If you lose, twenty five grand. So long as you're on the roster. How long is it? How long is it before that happens? Now I realize you're talking. You know, you cap it at whatever, like sixty guys per roster. I mean, you're you're looking. You got to have like a ten million dollar sponsorship. But how far are we from a bowl game? Saying. And I know that people are going to say, well, it's illegal or it's against NCAA. The NIL's changed everything. So you say, listen, we are, if you get like a, a legitimate, like big time, multi-million dollar sponsor, nothing against mug and bun. But if you literally got like a big time you know, fila or something like that, and you said, look, we're going to, we're going to sponsor this for multi-millions of dollars. And then, due to NIL, we are going to sign every player on the winning roster to a one-day contract worth fifty grand, and every player on the losing roster a one-day contract for twenty-five grand. How how close are we to that? And then you basically have semi-professional. You have what we know it to be anyway, which is official semi-professional football. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way that really takes shape is if 
the rumor that has been churned out for the last two, three years of everybody splitting from the NCAA and making their own like super conference. Like that's, that's how far you are away from that happening. And depending on where you sit on that rumor, I don't think it's, I don't think it's rumor as much as just like you could see. I, I remember Jimmy and it's probably been, it was, remember the first time that there was conference expansion and realignment talk and the Pac-12 was the one that finally like put a stop to everything. I remember because Derek Schultz, when we were doing our, our, our other show, had a great line where he said the, the, the conference carousel was spinning and then the Pac-12 threw up on itself. And so everything stopped. But you had some movement, and I'm trying to – it would have been like when, when Notre Dame first like became aligned in football with the ACC to some extent – and, you know, you had some movement. Louisville went from the Big East to the ACC. This would have been like 10 years ago. And I remember at that point saying, go into a – give me a city off the top of your head that's not a professional city, like middle market city in the United States. Random city. Go ahead. Boom. Go. Tulsa. Tulsa. Perfect. So you go into Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you go into Lids. And somebody says to you, okay, Jimmy, you got to write down 10 schools – that are not in the state of Oklahoma, and if you go in there and they are represented, you can buy a hat right now at Lids. You get for each school that you correctly predict, you get a million dollars. What school are you going with? Boom, go. Repeat that for me one more time. I'm sorry. You've got to walk into a Lids. Schools in Tulsa, that are not in Oklahoma. You're you got to walk into a Lids in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Before you walk in, you got to write down ten schools. Sure. If they are represented as schools that you can purchase something from at a Lids hat store in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you get a million dollars per school. What schools do you list? Florida, Kentucky. USC, Florida State, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Duke, North Carolina. Yeah, that's pro- and Kansas is probably up there too. But from a football standpoint, there is no question that, that what I said back then was there are certain schools that do not need a conference alignment for their marketing. They are big enough brands that they sell. The biggest brand of all is probably Notre Dame. Secondly would be USC or UCLA, Michigan, actually Michigan may be number one in terms of overall marketing of sales. Michigan gear sells everywhere. You you go into the, literally, you go to climb like Mount Denali in Alaska and somebody's wearing Michigan stuff, right? Yeah. So those schools, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama, the football powerhouse juggernaut schools, it seemed almost a certainty, an inevitability at one point that those schools were going to eventually combine together and say, we don't need the jurisdiction and the revenue share. Like, if I'm Michigan, why am I going to a bowl game to give 10% of it to Northwestern? Let's just form our own deal, and everybody's going to know of our 16 teams, if we completely secede from the NCAA, we'll just run our own semi-professional league and yeah, I mean, great. If people want to say like this is the year that Iowa State broke through and won the national championship in the college football playoff, that's great. But everybody knows the 16 best teams are with us. I think that was getting close before this whole realignment happened. And now what you have seemingly is eventually the combination of forces where the Big Ten and Pac-12 essentially are going to combine together for one Super League and the AC, well, actually it would be 
the SEC and like the Big Twelve, or you know, and there was there was a lot of speculation there, right? Was it SEC? Was it was it ACC? Like what what were going to be the other two to combine forces for the other big superpower league? But the bowl season is fun. But my point being, and and it's going to these sorts of conversations from a local standpoint make it are going to make it harder and harder for the Indianas and the Purdue's to compete. Now you could say that it makes it easier because now there's a level playing field. If Purdue and Indiana can can get the NIL money, but they're already at huge disadvantage because of the branding of those other schools. Well, you have to change though if you're talking about your scenario of players getting the money. And yes, you're right. We were far closer to that happening. Players getting money from a bowl win than we were even five years ago with NIL. But a fundamental shift you would have to have happen is either up the ante for what sponsors are paying or have a shift in the division of assets when you win that go to your conference that would instead go to the team that won. Because right now, based on the way revenue is shared, if you have a... If you're an Indiana football fan and you have Michigan right now representing the Big Ten in the college football playoff, a win for them in the semifinal and a win for them in the championship brings more revenue sharing to the Big Ten. It's not that the Michigan players get paid for that. It's that the conference gets rewarded for it. So you would have to have a modification of where assets are being allocated. That's not impossible. We're closer to that conversation than we were, again, five years ago. But you would have to either up the ante for what's being paid by the sponsors, or you would have to modify your distribution of your winnings to the players instead of the conference. The um, Pacers in Chicago taking on the Bulls, that game, 8 o'clock tonight, right, Eddie? Yes, sir, 7.30 pregame. So that contest, there's something about going to Chicago that always feels like a measuring stick. And I know that sounds weird. The Bulls are 14 and 18. There's nothing that overly jumps out about the Chicago Bulls to you. They're, you know, the Pacers are probably the better team. But at the same time, you know, coming off of what we saw with Houston, I think what you're seeing now or what you're looking for, Jimmy, from the Pacers standpoint is you just want to see, we know now that they can guard and make things difficult late in games for teams. They just did it against Houston. But they were kind of bailed a little bit by, once again, Tyrese Halliburton like getting into that lightning in a bottle zone. So I want to see whether or not they can continue this from one game to the next and and are they re-identifying themselves? Are the Pacers suddenly a team that is in fact defensively competent? Or are they just are they capable of doing it in small stretches and that's that? Because they don't have they had the ability as we saw in Houston, to put a lineup on the floor that has, at the very least, four pretty good defenders. But you can't, if you start trying to rely on that every night, Jimmy, eventually, you know, you start wearing people down, right? And 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 you got to have some replenishment of stock when Aaron Neesmith and Isaiah Jackson and Andrew Nimhard and Jalen Smith are on the floor, and you're like, okay, that's our our defensive core here. Or, well, Miles Turner, obviously, but outside of that, like. You got to start getting other guys buying into that, but I. But I. Yeah, it's it's not like when you make a change to the lineup like that, Jake. When you go more defensive minded or defensive focused, who you're bringing in is not suddenly. Oh, this is a two way generational player that makes our offense just as good. If you're looking at it from a coaching staff's perspective, 
you're you're sacrificing a bit offensively to play better in spurts defensively. And and it worked against Houston and it looked like it might work against Memphis a couple nights ago, but again, we mentioned the fatigue factor. You're right, Chicago is definitely a measuring stick game, but to your overall point about what this roster needs, like if you're looking at not a big franchise changing move at the deadline in February, but if you're looking at just a piece to solidify what this team wants to be for their push to the playoffs. To find the answer to that question arrives, I think, in part, how you start 2024. That's what I've been highlighting the last couple of weeks. Because yes, this game against Chicago matters. Chicago is like looking in a mirror that shows you your worst self. Like that's where the Pacers could be if Tyrese wasn't playing special every night. They could be four or five games under 500 and they could be still giving up as many points as they do a game, and they would be looking for a play-in spot versus an actual playoff spot. It's not a real duplicate of what the Pacers are. You're right, they're better, but after this game against Chicago, you have that home game against New York on Saturday, and then that's where you really get potentially punched in the mouth, or you're like, no, we are a new team in terms of what we want to do defensively, with four of five matchups being unbelievable tests against Milwaukee and Boston, Atlanta sandwiched in there. That's how important this is out of the stretch because not only do you need to identify whether or not these type of modifications can make you a better team defensively without sacrificing your offensive output, but you also need to figure out where is this team headed into 2024 and do we need to make an acquisition at the deadline to better shore up the overall idea of not a play-in spot, a six-seed or better appearance in the postseason come April. By the way, there's Pretty big Colts news to get to, which we will in just about 10 minutes from right now. Um, Jimmy, in the postseason for the Pacers, which do you feel better about? Which do you think they can sustain for four out of seven games against a common opponent? Having the kind of defense they closed with against Houston or having four games where Tyrese Halliburton gets into that zone where he suddenly is NBA jam pulling up from 30 feet and things are going in for him. If you go with the law of averages, the one that you go with that says it gives you a better percentage chance of getting it game in and game out is which? It's going to be the defense if you're able to take a consistent step forward. But what we, the one thing that we highlighted, Jake, after that game against the Grizzlies was it looked like they couldn't bring it down offensively and focus defensively because it made an overall worse product and they were out of games faster because they, they, whether it was fatigue, whether it was just execution, they couldn't do both. They couldn't have their cake and eat it to score 140 and also hold teams to 117. Over the course of a seven-game series, though, what I would like more often than not are those stops defensively because I trust Tyrese Halliburton as a player that he doesn't need 40, but he could still have a 25 and 15 night that's going to be good enough for your team to get a win as long as that defense is showing out. So I would say the defense. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Is Because it, it it's wonderful when Halliburton gets in that zone, but when he's not in it, if you, if you don't have anything to fall back on, you're in real trouble, yep. right? Whereas if you can figure out how to consistently and – as part of your brand, play a, a really stout defense, then when you get that from him, then it's like, well, now 
hell yeah. You're like the Damian Lillard Trailblazers, honestly. That's good. Like, that's, like good that, 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 that's roughly where your peak is. Not that they played the same stylistically, but you had one guy that you knew could get you 40, but it might not be enough if he only has 20, right? Like you have those lulls. And, and then we talked with Dave DeFore last week. The Pacers' style of play is perfect for March Madness. It's perfect for the in-season tournament. Over the course of a seven-game series, that pace is not sustainable. I think they realize that. I think they understand it. It might win you a series. It might win you a first-round matchup. It is not a sustainable style as they're currently constructed to take you to a conference final or to take you to the NBA finals. Uh, by the way, Eddie, do you have the breaking news sounder? Figured we would. Um, I should have led with this. This is the biggest breaking news of the day. Uh, JMV's back. Saw him in the building when I walked in. He is on remote today. I believe he said Taylor's is where he is. So he is Taylor's Pub and Nora. Taylor's Pub and Nora. He is back. He's healthy. He's ready to go. And he will be doing the show today. So thank you to Brian and to Greg for filling in for the last two days. But um, this, you can tell when you walk in the building, it's just a little off kilter when John's not here, right? So uh, John back in the mix. He will be with you coming up at 3 o'clock today. You guys did what last night? Eddie, will begin with you. Your evening consisted of what? Um, I went home for some reason, fell asleep when I was watching TV for an hour. So it was a nice little nap. I uh, had some dinner. And what, what were you watching that put you to sleep? I, I can't even remember. Like I just turned <laughs> okay. the TV on to that something random. You fell asleep. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was kind of tired. So then I got, I was just sitting there and then I was like, boom, I'm asleep. Hour later, I wake up to the smell of chicken being made in the kitchen. I was like, okay, I didn't realize I fell asleep. Uh, other than that, uh, played some rocket league with Jimmy last night. And uh, that's about it. Played Rocket League. Now this is the soccer car, game. car thing. Yep. Yes. Me, 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 and, me, and Eddie put some work in last night, or so got worked rather. So but. the two of you dial each other up on the. It was Xbox, yeah. Okay, and so, but I mean, you say like, let's play at such such time, and then you know, you're yeah, I texted different- him. I was like, hey, you want to play? He's like, yeah, let's play. Uh, had to wait for Olivia to leave for work, and then so now we played. Dumb question: Are you just playing against one another, or are the two of you combined as a team playing against two guys randomly in Tulsa? That would be the yep. ideal format. But a, a couple of my friends wound up joining us, so we were, Eddie and I were sometimes put against one another. If you have like four people, you can just join your own little private match lobby, mm-hmm. and then you just rotate teams. So it's me and my friend versus Eddie and another friend, vice versa. You guys ever think? To- to yourselves that maybe you're fortunate that you found uh, women before th- this habit began? <laughs> well, yes, every day. But uh, additionally, this kind of thing was still, again, it's the, it's the generational thing, right? Like, I we would do that in college sometimes, right? Like, if it was a slow Wednesday, hey, you want to play some 2K? And, like, my buddy and I would play 2K in the dorm or whatever. No, I, I, online, I get but, it. I mean... But yes, every day, Jake, every day. Okay, so so that's what you did last night is you played the... And, and well, I watched Duke's Mayo Bowl. I, yeah. Eddie and I had a Jake in all sports, especially ones where teamwork is involved. <laughs> you got to gel together sometimes. So Eddie and I, we, we had a rough go. We're, we we're lost still like attempting four, that on this program. We are. We are. We lost like four in a row out of the gate, and then we, then we found some chemistry late, and we we worked things out. So. And what kind of so this is you are cars playing soccer, right? Correct. Yeah. And what kind of car are you? He, let me tell you the cars that I think of you guys as being, okay? <laughs> okay? I can't wait for you to reveal this one. If you guys were cars, Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison, I, I and I don't know what car, I would like people to tell me what car they would think that I am. Like, what car am I, right? But, Jimmy, I think of you as, um, 
You are actually like one of those Ford Thunderbirds, like that's new. Okay. And you know it's it's sleek, but it's designed at its core to still be retro, because you're kind of retro, right? Like you sure. listen to Sinatra. Yep. You you know whatever. Um, Eddie, I think of you as like a '74 Chevy Nova. Okay. No, or no, it's actually, just... you're like an AMC. You're an AMC Pacer. That's what you are, Eddie. Okay. You're an AMC Pacer. That's the kind of car that Wayne's World rolled around in. They either had a Pacer or a Gremlin. They might have had a Gremlin, actually. One was a rounded car, and the other was like more of a, a, a slanted car. So, but what car do you play in this quick, soccer game online? Quick, quick, quick version. <laughs> Rocket League, when they first started, didn't have the rights to car companies. Okay. So they would design right, cars right, and right. call them like, like different names. Yeah, it's like Cruising USA. Correct. They're just like generic cars, yeah. Now, the game's been around for a decade plus. They have sponsorships from like a Ford or BMW or whatever, and so you can unlock different cars. Actually, Eddie, you're a PT Cruiser. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the current car that I drive. Have you ever seen the movie Cars? I'm familiar with it. I've not seen it. Okay, so you're familiar with Lightning McQueen, though, the red car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me. It kind of looks like a Miata, right? Yes. Like a little sports car? Correct. Okay. That's me. Uh, and Eddie, you are? Uh, it's called an Octane. I don't know how the... It looks like... An, the, it looks like... A, you ever seen Toy I Story? When I think of you, Octane's the first thing I think of. You ever Thank seen you. St- to- Toy Story? Just the first one. The I've, original I've Toy Story? never seen it familiar with Okay, it. you know what like the RC car looks like? Yeah, where yeah, like it, of course. It, it, has, it juts out there and has the... Uh, what do you call the, the wing on the back? You know what I mean? Yeah, the spoiler. The spoiler, the spoiler yeah. on the back. That's Eddie's car. Okay. Well, fair enough. And you guys won, you said, or lost? Uh, we lost like four out of the gate, and then we ended up closing with a couple wins. Yep. <laughs> well, what time? And what time did these shenanigans wind that down? That doesn't need to be. That's not important. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did your mom come in and say, like, kids, it's time to go to bed now? It was on the third one that we finally went to bed when, when mom was like, hey, yeah, guys, keep it 2 a.m.? Yes. That's not bad. Yep. That's not bad. Uh, watch the Duke's Mail Bowl as well. Had to do that. Yeah. We talked about it so much yesterday, I needed to. Wait, somebody says I'm an 88 citation. Come on now. Someone also said you're a 1969 Charger. Nah. I'm not. Uh, I ain't no muscle car. Come on now. You've not reached like Gran Torino levels Jake, yet. Jake, you're a BMW 500 series. That's cool. I can go. roll with that. There you go. I'd like to be a 700 series, but that's cool, right? You know what that means? That means that I am still smooth despite the high mileage. That's what that means. Yep. Colts news. We're going to get to it. Potential big honors on the way. We'll explain next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So yesterday it was announced, the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And again, before we get into this, I'm going to lay this out for people once again. Because it happens Every year. Well, is he going to go in as a Bronco or a Colt? You know, that kind of thing. It is not the NFL Hall of Fame. It is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And in the Shrine Room, I believe is what they call it, where all the busts are, and it is cool. It's funny. Have you been to the Hall of Fame, Jimmy? If not, I want to, but I've not made Eddie, it. have you been? I have not. I... I think they may have renovated it. The last time that I was there was when Marvin Harrison and Tony Dungy were inducted. Uh, and that was, you know, a handful of years ago. But it is obviously a very cool facility, but it's a little dated. It's kind of like being in a cross between 
a Holiday Inn. I mean, quite frankly, probably like the Speedway Museum, you know, where it just it's got cool stuff, but it just hasn't been updated in quite some time. Although that's obviously changing here. But in the shrine room itself, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you go in and it's pretty it's dark and there's all the busts with like just a spotlight on each bust. And it it is very simple. Like for Peyton Manning, there is the bust of Peyton Manning, and underneath it, it just says Peyton Manning, Indianapolis Colts, 1998-2012 or 2011, whatever it was, and then Denver Broncos, you know, 2011 to dash whatever. I can't remember what year he left. I, you know, but the point being, it lists all teams of service equally. It does not. It just is very factually based. So there are 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the newest class, of which five from of the modern era will be selected. Included in the 15, Dwight Freeney and Reggie Wayne. Here are the finalists. Eric Allen, not the former North Central and Indiana University product, by the way. But Eric Allen, who most notably was with the Philadelphia Eagles defensive back. Jared Allen. God, loved Jared Allen. Great player, right? Yep. Jared Allen, who played for Kansas City, and then, you know, obviously, I think Minnesota's probably where he's yep. better known. Got, got dealt and was there for five years. He would always do, like, a little... Cause he, I think he, if I could butcher the story, but he grew up on a farm, and he'd always, like, roll up a, a pig when he got a sack. Always made me chuckle. He'd really? always just get to the ground and, like, roll up roll up a pig or, like, like he was uh, tying an animal together. I mean, he definitely is like a cowboy-type character, right? Yep. Uh, Willie Anderson, longtime Cincinnati Bengal offensive lineman. There are a couple of them where you're like, again, linemen are hard, right? Yes. I mean, can you guys tell me the lineman for the New Orleans Saints that was there for 12 seasons? Uh, I'm sorry, 11 seasons and won a Super Bowl with them. As a right guard. I mean, how many right guards are in the, the Hall of Fame? Either one of you guys know? No, I have no idea. Do you? Jari Evans. Is that, Am I saying the first name correctly? I hope so. Uh, then Dwight Freeney. My point being, I would be surprised if Evans. Evans is one of those. If you look at it and you're like, okay, who is the top competition for Reggie Wayne and for Dwight Freeney? I, Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates would be one. This he is, is a finalist. Time. Rodney Harrison. Two-time Super Bowl champ, of course. Now, Devin Hester. Devin Hester's an interesting one because do you typically think of just like a return specialist, but he's probably the best ever to do it. He's like the Ray Guy of return specialists or the Adam Vinatieri of return specialists. Uh, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson. Torrey Holt is a fascinating one because he he actually has the same challenge as Reggie yep. Wayne. Yes, he does. And that is that... But he also did something that Reggie Wayne did. Torrey Holt was a rookie when Isaac Bruce was like in his prime. And Torrey Holt, all you know, from the get-go, it was like, man, this guy is really good. And he led the league in receiving twice in his first like four years in the league. He was an all-pro in 2003, okay? Played 10 of 11 years with the Rams and had 74 touchdowns. Wonderful player, but number one, 
a lot of people are going to say he was a product of the system he was in because he had Kurt Warner throwing to him. He had Marshall Falk in the backfield, and he had Isaac Bruce lined up alongside of him. But he did, when those other pieces were not there, he did continue to elevate his game, which helps him. Reggie Wayne did the same thing. Reggie Wayne had Edron James and Marvin Harrison, but when those guys were gone, and now all of a sudden you've got like Donald Brown and then running back by committee, and yes, I know he went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, but Reggie Wayne, once Marvin Harrison was gone, elevated his game and, and changed from a behind-the-defense receiver to a possession receiver and extended his career. Andre Johnson. Great player in Houston, came to Indianapolis, absolutely fell off a cliff, and unless they were playing Houston. Julius Peppers, probably the biggest challenge for Freeney in this group. Yep. Fred Taylor, again, Fred Taylor to me is in the Hall of Very Good. Patrick Willis, I was actually surprised he's not already in. I thought he was. Um, but retired early, so does that hurt him? Because it's it's basically a defensive equivalent, not saying at the same level of dominance, of Barry Sanders, where like you walk away, or, or Calvin Johnson's by a better example. You walk away in the middle. And then Darren Woodson. Darren Woodson, probably product of the teams that he's on, right? So of those players, are there any that you would say definitively, let's begin with this, between Freeney and Wayne, which one is? has the more clear-cut case. I think... I think it's probably Freeney. I agree. Because of... And I think ultimately Wayne will eventually get in. I think Torrey Holt will ultimately get in. But I think the fact that Wayne doesn't have that hurdle, and also he is a player when I think of those Colts teams, and I think of the other side of the ball, he's one of the first names that pops in my head. I think Freeney gets in over Wayne first for the following reasons. We have tangible proof of what happened with Freeney when he wasn't there. Because his team went to a Super Bowl. They were absolutely the odds-on favorite to win that Super Bowl. But he got hurt and wasn't there, and they didn't win said Super Bowl. And so that adds to the mystique of Dwight Freeney because it makes you think – he was so great that a fait accompli Super Bowl champion team couldn't get over the hump because he wasn't there. I'm not saying that that's reality, but there's a little bit of mystique that is added to that, number one. Number two, and I think a big part of the Hall of Fame is like thumbprint, impact, footprint impact. And in Dwight Freeney's case, Dwight Freeney, unlike Reggie Wayne, unlike Torrey Holt, unlike Darren Woodson, unlike Antonio Gates, Dwight Freeney is essentially the only player on that list that has a signature play or move that is attached, attributed to him. You know that in basketball, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a great player, arguably the greatest player of all time certainly at the time of his retirement. And he was the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. But the one, even with all of the accolades, even with the national championships at UCLA, and even with the multiple championships with the Lakers and, and the all-time leading scorer, 
the thing, the 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 cameo in Airplane, the thing about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that people remember and that stand out about him is the skyhook because no one else did it and it was a totally unstoppable move. And when you think about like, you know, in the NBA, there are players that had a, besides Kareem, there, that had a signature move that was definitively theirs. Walter Payton had the stutter step. Walter Payton's the greatest running back probably of all time. But in addition to that, he he had the stutter step, which is what people remember because it was different than anybody else. Earl Campbell had, you know, the, 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 the lowering his head and blasting linebackers off the line. And Dwight Freeney has a move that was patently his. And I think that does separate him and makes it easier to remember him come voting time. You, you look at things, a checklist, if you will, of like foolproof ways to get into the Hall of Fame at any position. Lead your specific position group in a impressive category for a year, like receiving yards or like sacks like Freeney did. Get opportunities to be a part of meaningful postseason games. People can't always control that, but like Freeney, I think is like top 10 for sacks in the postseason. Like that's a relevant blueprint added to your resume. Make all pro teams, whether it's first or second. And I know that that's like, depending on what era you're talking about, it gets a little bit more complicated, but for modern era players, make as many of those as you can. Pro Bowl, I don't think matters as much, but it's sure nice to have that on there as well. And then to your point, having a signature move or a signature attribution like the Dwight Freeney spin move that is notable and recognizable. The other one I would throw in there is if you go talk to other people that played against him. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I was scared of that guy. Yeah, yeah that dude, right. like, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm a grown man. I'm not fearful of well, him, but I'm I'm worried about look, that matchup. That I, keeps I, me up at night. I love... And he has all of them. Antonio Gates... Okay. Antonio Gates... Uh, Dwight Freeney. We'll go with Rodney Harrison, Devin Hester, and Reggie Wayne. Of those guys, the one who kept coordinators and or the person responsible for slowing them down at bay and up late the most probably are Dwight Freeney and Devin Hester. Yeah, you got to keep you got to put Hester in there for that on totally. that on that mindset. There's a reason that CBS would or Fox or whoever would specifically pan wide on a kickoff not because they wanted the cool angle because they wanted the shot of a Devin Hester touchdown return. Right. Because it felt like it was possible anytime you were kicking to him. Dante Hall was up there too. He was, yeah. I mean, but I, Devin Hester did it longer and and, and on bigger stages. Correct, right? Like, and and that goes into it as well. Hall, I think of, I don't know if the year is wrong on this because I think the height of Hester's powers was like oh five oh six. Hall was like oh two oh three oh three oh four. Correct. And again, Hall was the precursor. The stages weren't there, but yes. But I mean, thanks for the love for the X factor. I appreciate that. When 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 Devin Hester, even though he talks smack about the Chiefs, yes. everybody and their brother knew starting that yeah. Super Bowl, do not kick to correct, this guy. Correct. Do not kick to this guy. <laughs> I think Bob Lamy even, like the call probably was like, here's the kick, Devin Hester. He's going to cut to the 15 to 20, and here it goes. And then there probably was like 40 seconds of silence. I can't believe they kicked it to that guy. <laughs> everybody everybody knew it. I, th- I think Gates gets in. Okay, so here we go. Gates gets uh, in this cycle. Of, of the ones that I just mentioned. Okay. And, and by the way, I looked online, four to eight 
is what they say generally in a given year. There's not a limit to how many can go in, but like that's that's usually the number of inductees is somewhere between four and eight, at least from what I saw online. It says the selection committee will meet January 16th to 17th in Atlanta to whittle down the names and choose the Hall's next class. Up to five modern era players okay, can be elected. So there is a caveat. All right. Google lied to me, but I was in the range. I'll take it. Now, Mike Chappell is, of course, the here's the way it works. When the committee gets together, the writer in the committee that covered said players is responsible for selling the case, presenting. Presenting the case is probably a better way of saying it because I don't think that it's Mike Chappell's job to convince people on what to do. But they are given the assignment of, okay, Mike Chappell, you covered Dwight Freeney, you covered Reggie Wayne, give us the statistics and the reasons, the things that separate them and make them different. And, you know, the legendary time with, for example, Peyton Manning, where he said, it's Peyton freaking Manning. Mike drop, no other thing needs to be said. And let's face it, everyone knew, you know, I mean, yeah. come on, right? Um, for whatever reason, be it fair or not, the wide receiver position is the position that more often than not makes for the greatest amount of case that has to be explained. And there, there is the, the the receiver position, for whatever reason, is the one that I think people take the most for granted and think that great players are products of system as opposed to other positions. People look at it and go, that's because that guy was great. Yeah. He was the system. Whereas receivers are always – the only receivers that weren't considered like benefits of their system were Randy Moss. Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Um, Calvin Johnson. Outside of that, I mean, a lot of receivers, people are like, well, but you got to keep in mind they had so-and-so thrown to them. Or you got to keep in mind they had this running back. Or you got to keep in mind – you know, I mean, it took forever for John Stallworth to get in because people were like, well, I played with Lynn Swan. You know what I mean? I mean, like it just – and those two guys were legendary players. The problem for Reggie Wayne is also going to be that he is on the ballot with Torrey Holt and Andre Johnson. And I think there is the thought process that you kind of wait in line, if you will. Yeah, but here's the issue with that, though. And this is this if I was a player that all I cared about is getting in, let, let me rephrase that because everybody wants to win. But post career, when you've set everything down, if the Hall of Fame matters to you, like genuinely matters to you, I think it matters to every player that plays in a long-term capacity in the NFL. The more you hear that, that, well, you got to kind of sit and wait and mold things, unless you're a Jerry Rice, unless you're like a a T.O., unless you're a Calvin Johnson, every year you wait, more and maybe in some cases better wide receivers appear on the docket and where are you left? What what are the next, you know, then you got to look at, like for Reggie Wayne, who are receivers that would be coming out behind him that are clear-cut names over him? Like who who is in, who is in queue, if you will? That, that's the thing I need to so that, you know, that, find that's, that out. That's where that question arises. By the way, Eddie, did you say uh, yes or no on Denary? He's officially in. Uh, Chris Denary, about 10 minutes from now, I've got a question for you guys where I need your help. Uh, in a tech area. I need your expertise when you're not playing soccer with cars where, I, where you can help me with a tech area. Is that cool? I think we can All do right, that. All right, we'll do it next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So other receivers in queue, if you will, that could be a challenge for Reggie Wayne. Uh, Steve Smith, is he eligible yet? Steve Smith Sr., yes. obviously. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, is he Come, eligible yet? Coming up in a couple years. Larry Fitzgerald's a slam dunk. Yes. That's really about it, right? I mean, Des Bryant, uh, Julian Edelman, uh, okay. I mean, th- those guys are nice players, don't get me wrong. Very good players. But I, I, but they're in the Hall of Very Good. Des Bryant's in the Hall of Flash and Pan, right? And Julian Ed- Edelman absolutely will be labeled as a guy that is the product of his system. Correct, but Edelman is one of those players where... Because of the system, yes, because of the system, yes, but he got the opportunities, third in postseason receiving yards and receptions. He holds some other Super Bowl records, won three of them. Like He's probably one that, that eventually though, gets in. I, I get it, but I think a lot of people, Jimmy, are going to say there are a lot of receivers that if they had played in that franchise Correct. because they're going to like 15 Correct. Super Bowls that would have those records. I agree. That's why I don't think he gets in first, but I think Edelman at some point gets in because even though he is at a disadvantage in terms of that criticism – the body of work still stands out to the point that you're like, okay, yeah, he's got to get in at some point. Okay, let me read to you guys a question that was asked to me yesterday, and it's a fabulous question. When I sent the tweet yesterday that said, hey, if I'm a coach in the Duke's Mayo Bowl and I'm down five with three seconds to go and I've got fourth and goal from the one, I'm thinking about what happens to the winner, what the prize is, which is getting dunked in Mayo, and I'm taking a knee. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody knows that we were supposed to win the game. But we didn't. So as a result of that, you, Jimmy Cook, on the other team, you you get your mayo bath and I'm going to go home, right? So I sent that tweet, and this comes in waves, okay? This happens to me in waves. And I noticed, I think it happens with JMV as well because he has made reference to it. But I get the following question from a listener that texted me this. And it's a legit question, and I want you guys to help out. Because I think the – I hope the insinuation is not that I'm in a guilty party here. I have a theory on this, okay? But when I sent that tweet, I get these these spam or bot replies, and they come in waves, okay? Like, it, it, it doesn't happen, like, every day. But when it happens, it'll happen, like, eight times over the course of two days. Where I get these responses that have a hidden image and it's from like some female, like, you know, with nine characters, clearly like computerized robotic thing that just says like, so think I'm hot or, you know, like, would you? And then, you know, it's like a girl in a bikini or whatever, right? They're usually not naked, but suggestive, right? Sure. So this person sent me, a listener sent me this question. Jake, serious question. Why do you get more nude bots than anyone else on Twitter? They're not even attractive, just sad. And JMV has mentioned also that like this comes in like group waves where you get like these. Now, my my personal opinion or thought on this would be that because of what, say, JMV and I do for a living, and you guys as well, but that over the course of time, the algorithms would be able to tell that the interactions that, that take place based off of my Twitter account 
the the people that are responding to it are probably predominantly 18 to 40 year old men that are also interacting with men's health or maxim or whatever else and so therefore the algorithms see that that's who is seeing the responses to my tweets now is a is would that be accurate and b because i'm sure there are a lot of people that are like well clearly query is either like on twitter or on pornhub and so therefore it's attaching to that and and I think it's that the algorithm can read the demographic of the people that are most often interacting with my tweets. But what do you... I mean, that that's possible. There's ways to manipulate all kinds of things from an algorithm standpoint of content that you get that's curated, not necessarily for you, but like for people that interact with your tweets. That said, and we don't have time to fully dissect this, but in the last year... Twitter has become more of a chaotic oh, it's unreal on a number of different levels. I think you can piece together why that's happened. And here we are, where you have bots that you've never seen before you replying know, to your stuff the, that have nothing to do with anything you're tweeting right. about. And the other one that, that that happened to me for a while there. Antifreeze. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Antifreeze. The, the, um, the one thing that happened to me a lot was about, I, I think it was like three years ago. In a tweet, I referenced Las Vegas. I, I, I don't remember what it was, or I maybe, I, I maybe replied to like something about lo, like a casino in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden, like I had this like run of new followers and it was all like casino bot, like poker game bot things. And they, and it would respond to everything that I sent out. I think it's just, they're like, it's like tentacles, right? Or or like barnacles. They're like barnacles that just like attach to a a passing ship to see what they can. You could have people farming keywords. And then if somebody tweets, like you mentioned the word Las Vegas, you're going to get six or seven different automated accounts. They're going to be like, Oh, this guy's talking about Las Vegas. Let's follow him and send him more stuff. I don't know how Twitter's algorithm works. If you utilize TikTok, for example, which is, you know, basically one of those like 30 second to a minute or more video platforms. If you start liking a video about Colts wide receivers, you might then get a video on greatest Colts wide Correct. receivers of all time, Correct. which will be like greatest Super Bowl moments well, and so on and so forth. And, and until it thinks it has something that you might like, I, or like you, you, if you shop online, like Christmas shop sure. online. I mean, good lord, the ads and the pop-ups. It's, I mean, it is unreal. Rest in Here's peace a, to the inbox. A really good point, by the way, in regards to the Hall of Fame. Jake, when talking about the Hall of Fame, just do it this way. If there's any hesitation when asked, then the answer is no. For example, Julian Edelman, good player, but the fact that I had to stop and think about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer disqualifies Has a Super Bowl MVP. I, I realized that a second ago. That's one of those where the third or fourth ballot, you look at that, you're like, oh, he has an MVP in the Super Bowl? And yeah, so does Jake Scott. I understand, but... So does Larry but, but, Brown. But, but at a key like at a key position with key moments. Like I'm saying it matters. I know this town doesn't like the Pats, and I agree with you that like he's probably a borderline. He's a Hall of Very player. Good. He's a Hall of Very Good, but a Hall of Very Good will sometimes get you in if you know the right people. I think that one day happens with him. Uh we do know Chris Denary, and he's gonna join us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Chris Denary is the television voice, of course, of the Indiana Pacers on Valley Sports Indiana. Pacers Television Network, working with Quinn Buckner and, of course, Jeremiah Johnson. Pacers tonight in Chicago, taking on 
the Bulls for an 8 o'clock tip. Chris joins us now. And Chris, every once in a while I do this for people because maybe I'm the only one that finds this stuff fascinating, but the travel of the NBA in general, because I do think that sometimes on road trips it's a good opportunity for teams to kind of escape the madness a little bit and and bond with one another. So that said, Houston was on Tuesday night and then now in Chicago. So the team arrived in Chicago when? How does the travel work out in that regard just in terms of like free time for players? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Jake. Good to be with you. I'm in uh, rainy Chicago. Just got off the bus and I am uh, walking the streets to find a cup of coffee, which I'll find here shortly. Uh, We got uh, to Chicago uh, late Tuesday night or very early Wednesday morning. I think it was about 3 or 3.30 in the morning when I got to bed Um, because it was about a two-hour flight after the game from Houston to Chicago. So breakfast yesterday was rather late uh, for everybody. I think they had it booked from 11 to 1. And then the team had – they did not have an official practice yesterday. They had – uh, some of the guys went over and shot, but we just got back from shoot-around today. Uh, so they were out on the floor for about an hour at the United Center uh, getting ready for tonight's game. So, you know, so saw some guys in the hotel last night, you know, having dinner and that type of thing. So you have free time, but, you know, for me and, and for our group, I mean, I'm constantly preparing, getting ready for the next game and oftentimes trying to work ahead because, uh, between now and the All-Star break uh, in mid-February, the Pacers one time have more than two days off between games and factor in a lot of back-to-backs. So it's, uh, this is, you know, this is the, the crunch time, if you will, uh, before the All-Star break. So the next month and a half are pretty much a grind, and I think the players understand that. And so you've got to do your best uh, to get the rest uh, that you need when you can. So how often, Chris, or what is the, and I mean, this may be decisions that you obviously aren't even a part of, but I'm curious, like when they got done in Houston, like why not just stay the night in Houston? And is that an NBA rule that if it's possible to get out that night, you do it so that there's not a chance of missing some sort of travel the next day? Why not just stay the night in Houston and then yesterday travel in the middle of the afternoon? Yeah, I think that goes both ways. I think the, the different coaches and different teams have done sleep studies. We will do that on occasion this year, especially when we're west. I think uh, there's a road trip that we end in Phoenix, uh, and we will stay in Phoenix and then fly back the next day. But I think most people in this instance, uh, honestly, for me, I'd much rather fly right after the game because you're up, you're awake, you're you know you, you've got you know, adrenaline uh, from the game. And and I think for players and coaches and staff, you feel that way. And you feel like, hey, let's just get to the next city and then the next day I can rest and recover. But uh, everybody does it a little bit differently. And like I said, during the course of the year, uh, the Pacers will do it differently. There will be, uh, again, some nights where the team will stay after the game and then there will be some nights where the team will fly after the game. Chris, at what point, Chris Denary is our guest, and I hope this makes sense, what I'm about to ask, but I know that Rick Carlisle, you know, he has certainly told Kevin and Andy on the wake-up call on this station about his desire, his awareness to start really changing things defensively and just starting to buckle down defensively, but I think that he had some hesitation as to, or concern is a better word, 
as to how that could impact the Pacers offensively because their offense was so unique there for a while and so elite while maybe not even sustainable. But how far do you go in in making changes to being a defensive philosophy team before you stop and say, okay, we are now impacting our offense too much and, in fact, coming back down to a style of play that makes us ordinary? Well, I think that's a great question, Jake. I think the one thing that uh, when you're going to play a high-tempo, up-tempo pace game with a lot of possessions and you're going to score a lot, you're going to give up points, right? The, the key is, is, is how can you manage that? And I think uh, this team has been, you know, 27th, 28th, 29th defensively out of 30 teams, which, as Rick has said, is not acceptable. But I don't think they have to be 10, 12, or, you know, 15. I think if they can fall right around 20, I think that would be good. And, you know, he said this. He goes, look, I know it's a short sample size, but the last four games have been four straight games where they've allowed under 120. And when you're scoring 126, 127 points per game, you're not going to hold teams to 105 or 110. I mean, you're, you know, most teams, you're not going to win by big double-digit margins each and every game. So I think if, if you can be you know, around 115 to 117 with the way that you want to play, then I think that would be more than acceptable. And I, I think we've seen that over the course of the last four games. You know, they made the change to the starting lineup the other night with Nemhard and Neesmith and Smith starting. And, and they're probably better defensive players, but they're also very capable offensive players too. I mean, Neesmith's one of the top three-point shooters in the NBA right now. And, and so uh, even if you look back to the Houston game, while Buddy Heald did not start and came off the bench, he was still on the floor in crunch time. So uh, a lot of it is, you know, who, who you're depending on to finish games. It doesn't necessarily mean you're one of the starters. And, and the one thing that I like about Rick Jake and, and is the fact that on a, on a specific game night, he's going to go with the guys that are playing well that night. He is not beholden to, hey, if you started, you're going to finish. If you started and didn't play well, then you're probably not going to play in crunch time. Um, so I, I really like how, how Rick manages that through the course of the game. Pacers TV voice, Kristen Airy of Valley Sports, taking some time with us. Chris, these teams met for the Pacers' third game of the season back in October. That was a 112-105 Bulls win in that game at GameBridge. What's the biggest difference since then between these two teams, aside from you know the in-season tournament run the Pacers had? Is health the biggest difference between these two clubs when you look at it going into the second matchup? Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been two months since these teams have played. And, you know, Chicago got off to a rocky start. They were 5-14. and 14. Zach Levine went to the bench injured. He's missed the last 13 games, and the Bulls have gone 9-4. and four. Uh, So that's been interesting to see. Um, they've got some injury issues. Uh, Torrey Craig is out. Uh, Nikola Vucevic is out. Levine is out. But they still have had some success of late. Uh, Alex Caruso's playing well. Um, Kobe White has, has really stepped forward. And then DeMar DeRozan does what DeMar DeRozan does. So um, this is a team that does not shoot the three all that well, uh, but they find other ways to win, and they've been pretty successful here, Blake. Where is this matchup in terms of not fully looking ahead, but looking at what's on the horizon with the Celtics and the Bucks looming to start 2024? When you look at this contest against the Bulls, and the contest at Gamebridge against the Knicks. Where's the biggest area the Pacers can learn about themselves going into 2024 with these two conference contests? 
Yeah, I mean, these are, uh, you know, the Bulls, while they're under 500, as I mentioned, they've played much better here of late. And, and the Knicks, led by Jalen Brunson, have, have played well. Um, yeah, you're going to learn a lot, and you hit on it. I mean, you, you get into 2024, you have those back-to-back games with the Bucks. You've got Atlanta in uh, with Trey Young, and then you have the back-to-back games against Boston. So, uh, yeah, that, that's why I thought the start of this little two-game road trip was important in Houston to somehow find a win because, you know, this team had been struggling the last two weeks uh, off of the in-season tournament. They had lost six of seven. They had lost four straight on the road. And Tuesday night they were going into a building at Toyota Center where Houston was 12-2 and two and had been playing pretty good basketball. So I look at that as a, as a nice win to sort of start this because, um, you know, you've, you've, you've lost some games early in the year, especially at home, that you'd like to have back. Uh, but uh, you've probably won some games that maybe you didn't think you would win. So at some point it all evens out, but I, I think these are – these are two games against two teams in the Eastern Conference that, you know, you feel like you're on par with. I mean, we know at the top of the East right now it's, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia are, are probably heads and shoulders above everybody else. And, and then everybody else is sort of like trying to position themselves uh, to get into the top six uh, in the East. Chris, did you find coffee yet? No, I, uh, I came in. Where am I? I? I walked into a, a department store. I'm here at the North Face uh, to oh, nice. get out of the rain. Is it? Yeah. Are, are, so you me, water you tower pl- are you near Water you Tower Place? To- yeah, we are near Water Tower Place. Yes. Yeah, Michigan Avenue is fabulous. Um, yeah. Well, we we'll try not to keep you too long to prohibit you from getting your your caffeine jolt here. But I <laughs> but I'm curious of this. A little glimpse behind the curtain for people, perhaps. Every year after the Indy 500, not every, but a lot of times, Chris, after the Indy 500, as you know, you and I will walk out of the Speedway together or we'll be up in the Pagoda together, the media center, whatever, and and we'll look at the box score and there'll be somebody that finished sixth and you and I will say to each other, I don't remember seeing that guy the entire day. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember that they were in the race itself and, and because they just kind of quietly went about it. So... What I'm about to present for the Pacers may be in that same category, so feel free to tell me, no, Jake, that's happened for 200 laps. You just were unaware of it. I saw in the Houston game Isaiah Jackson, who I've been a huge fan of, and I just love what he brings to the table. But I saw times where he was on the floor with Miles Turner, and I thought that that really ramped up not only what Turner does defensively, but just kind of added – an extra blanket of security defensively around the rim that I hadn't seen before. Is that a new look, or is this basically Alex Lloyd, who just did 200 laps and I was asleep for all of it? No, no, you're you're spot on. That's a new look. I mean, you, you, you have seen, especially on Tuesday night, you saw more big, big together. You saw Jalen Smith start alongside Miles Turner. Uh, you saw Jackson and Smith play together. And as you just said, you saw Jackson and Turner play. And I think, you know, one of the things is Houston has size in their starting lineup with Shen Goon and Jabari Smith. But I think what Rick has been trying to figure out is, is rotations and, and what group, you know, gives him the best starts um, and how you can be more physical with size. Because as you, get into the, the season, especially a number of these teams that they play with a lot of size. So, yeah, I think that's something that maybe you'll see more of 
Um, and, and you're right. Isaiah Jackson's played very well. Uh, you know, he had to step in in a backup role when Jalen Smith was out with the injury. And he's a guy that I'm not sure, you know, knew what his role was going to be when the season started because you had Miles Turner, you had Jalen Smith. At, at, at an early part of the season, you had Daniel Tice. But um, he's only 21 years old. Uh, you know, he's in his third year. Um, and and, and I, I agree with you. I think, I think he – he can help Miles do some other things because all of a sudden you have two shot blockers on the floor defensively, not just one. Chris Denary is our guest, television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Pacers, Bulls in action tonight. 8 o'clock tip in Chicago. Um, Chris, the other side of that, I guess, is you know with Jalen Smith, with Isaiah Jackson, with Miles Turner, and the way that those guys work, if for some reason, and this is cart before the horse, but – Let's just say hypothetically that a deal presents itself at the trade deadline that Kevin Pritchard is really intrigued by and one of those three guys or somebody else is on the table. How much or do you know, how much override say would Rick Carlisle have? If there's a, if there's a combination or something that Carlisle has been able to see, you know what, this is something we can build off of moving forward. And then Kevin Pritchard has one of those guys that he wants to use for another piece does Carlisle have the ability to go and say, no, you, you can't do it because here's what I have in mind? Or is that a fluid conversation? No, I think it's fluid. I think there's a great partnership between, you know, what, what the front office does on a daily basis and what Rick and the staff, you know, does in, in, in managing the roster, you know, on game night. Uh, so, no, I, I think, I think this, is, this is everybody working together to, to get to the ultimate goal, and that's to try to win a championship. I mean, that's what – you know, Rick has said from day one, and it it, it takes steps. I mean, I think this team's probably a little ahead of schedule for where we thought it would be a couple of years ago when they won 25 games and uh, took a big step forward last year, and maybe it would have been larger if, if Tyrese wouldn't have gotten hurt uh, midway through the season. So, no, I, I, think, I think the whole organization is together, and I think they, they work together to decide on all of those kinds of situations. Chris, how would you best describe the 2023 portion of this, not the whole calendar year, but of this season as we get closer to the new year of this season for Benedict Matherin? And what do you need to see from him in the second half of the calendar when we change to 2024 in the second half of the season that would make you think, no, this is the player they drafted him to be. This is a big step forward for him and ultimately is going to be very imperative for what they want to do in terms of postseason aspirations? Yeah, I think just, you know, he's got to be more consistent. I mean, he had a six straight, he had a six game run uh, a few games back where he had two 30 point games and he was averaging 18 points and, and, and shooting the three pretty well. Last three games have been a struggle for him offensively, but I, I think it's more along the lines of he's, he's, trying to become and they want him to become more of an all-around player and that's not just scoring I mean when he came out of Arizona that's that's what he was most known for and it, you know we were talking about this the other day it's it's hard to live up to that first month he was the NBA's Eastern Conference rookie of the month and you know got off to such a great start last year that sometimes it's hard to sustain that especially when you're a second year player so I just think it's it's being more consistent um, in, in your role, he's coming off the bench now. Um, you know, I thought I thought he did some really good things on Tuesday. 
uh, got back in double figures, hit some shots. Uh, it's being better defensively. I mean, that, that goes for the whole team, but I, I think particularly Ben, I mean, you know, he's, he's got a great skill set. He's got a, a great NBA body, and it's just, it's just, you know, being more purposeful on the defensive end. I, I think that's something that we'll definitely want to watch the rest of the year. Chris, we'll let you get to your coffee. Um, there are a few places that would be more fun to just walk around than is is Water Tower Place still there, like on Michigan Avenue, like right yeah. the mall? Yeah, it's here, and uh, I mean it's you know beautifully uh, decorated. Everything, the the lights here, downtown Chicago. I mean, uh, if there is a place that you have to be, you know, on the road during the holidays, this is probably a place that you want to be. It, it seemed like it was bustling. Now today. Like I said, it's a little rainy out. There's still a lot of people walking up and down the streets here uh, in downtown Chicago. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you, you you know it's Christmas time when you're here in downtown Chicago. And then after that, it's back here from Milwaukee, right? Uh, no, we've got the Knicks on Saturday night. Or, that's right. Uh, I'm sorry, the Knicks. Then Milwaukee's on Wednesday, I think, right? Yeah, Milwaukee yeah. on Wednesday. You got the back to back. So we go back to Milwaukee on. Uh, we'll fly. Uh, on New Year's Eve, usually, as, as as everybody knows, the Pacers have played uh, that three o'clock game on New Year's Eve. But with New Year's Eve following on Sunday, that's become an NFL Sunday, and so uh, the Colts are home on Sunday. So the Pacers will play on Saturday, and then we'll fly to Milwaukee and play the Bucks again in that rematch, if you will, on Monday. And then the Bucks turn around and come right back to Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Wednesday. You so, know, they should just uh, travel back together. The, the way they get just yeah, all sure. on the same bus, I'm sure right? That'd go, yeah. I'm sure that'd go really, really well. I'm, Make sure I'm, nobody I'm takes really Giannis's gonna, seat. That might be an issue. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see uh, how that how that all plays out on Monday. But I know uh, our group is looking forward to it because uh, um, th- this has become a rivalry, and that's good. I mean, it's it a is. rivalry tonight in, in Chicago, so that that's all good. All right, Chris, uh, we'll be watching 8 o'clock tonight, Pacers and Bulls. Enjoy it up there. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Chris Denary, the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. I, you know, I love, and I've made no bones about it, on, the, on this radio station, if you listen for a while, you know that, for example, Kevin Bowen loves Benedict Matherin, right? Build Although, thy statue. Build the statue, right? Although I think the statue has been put temporarily on hold. Um, the two Pacer players that I love, and I'm I'm a weird duck in the fact that, and maybe it's because I was never a great player when I played basketball. I mean, I was a I wasn't afraid to shoot it. That's for sure. But I was definitely as I as I progressed and got involved in playing with players better than I, I was a role type player. So I've always kind of appreciated role type players. The, the great Reggie Miller teams, my favorite pacer was Derek McKee. I like Dale Davis a lot, but but Derek McKee I just like because he could do any of number of things that were asked of him. He didn't you didn't have to run things through him. Um, you know, Derek McKee, his his three point shooting percentage went up like exponentially in the towards the end of sets like in the last five seconds of a shot clock set like where the ball would rotate over to him he was just cool as a cucumber I just liked him this particular group the two guys that I really like are Aaron Neesmith and Isaiah Jackson Neesmith because I love any guy that at 6'6", 6'7", is not afraid 
because he knows that he's got to do it to go down on the block and get physical and guard players far bigger than he is. I, I got a great respect for that. And he can shoot, as Chris was just talking about. So I like Neesmith's game a lot. But Isaiah Jackson I like not only because he brings a level of athleticism that is so unique to the Pacers roster, but he is becoming a better defender. Um, I think for a while there he was just reliant upon his athleticism and, and wasn't necessarily studying where to be, angles, things like that. But one of the things that I really like about him is just in talking to people you know that are around it, I think that that by all account, he is one of the lower maintenance, and and I think it's a roster that's got low maintenance guys. I don't think they have a lot of egos. I don't totally. think they have yeah. you know alpha guys. But Isaiah Jackson, from from his teammates to the staff to the employees of the Pacers and whatever else, is just a low key, respectful, quiet, doesn't ask a whole lot guy, and, and I like that because. You know, he he is a guy that might give you 22 minutes one night, and then he gets a DMP coach's decision the next night, and then he comes back the next night, and they call his number again, and he goes out and gives you 20 quality minutes. And, and I just think it's invaluable to have a guy that that's willing to accept that kind of a role. But he is going to be Jimmy Watch. I think that Isaiah Jackson is going to be a an increasingly important figure for them. Because one of two things is going to happen, either because his value increases and he's able, somebody that they flip for what they think is going to be a better you know, fit for them, but I don't think that's going to be the case. But secondly, because like Chris was just talking about, I, I think we're going to see more of that where Isaiah Jackson is on the floor at the same time as either Turner or Smith and providing other side defensive help that they didn't have before. Miles Turner, more often than not, Jimmy, he, he's a – Miles Turner's like kind of a, a the whipping boy for Pacer fans. I get it. Like in terms of things that Miles Turner's a guy that people want to point out everything he doesn't do as opposed to everything he does do, right? Yes. I mean, literally, he goes out and plays solid defense and gets key rebounds late and hits a couple of big threes, and then afterwards people are mad because he didn't go twenty and ten. Well, it it's also like, doesn't help him with his build, even though the NBA and Miles isn't. Like Miles is not Shaq. That's not, I just say that because that's the style of center in today's NBA is the way Miles plays. There are other players in other markets around the league that do it better than he does, but you want him to like be them, and he's not. Like he he's not Embiid. He's not Jokic. Like he he's he's never going to be that. And because sometimes people want him to be that and have been expecting like another leap forward in his game, you undervalue what he actually brings to the table. Right. And totally agree with that. Um, but I just think that he... And the trade rumors, right? That doesn't help either. He is totally he is totally free. When, when Jackson's out there, he's a different player. And Jalen Smith, both. Sure. Jalen Smith's an important piece for them, too. But I do think that Jackson's assistance to Miles Turner and allowing Turner to kind of continue to do what he does um, and giving him just a little bit of backup, if you will, is going to be – I think Carlisle might have discovered something here and thought, you know, I, I need to go to this more. And I think you're going to start seeing more of it. Now, watch. I say that, and it'll probably never happen again. But it feels that way, right? You, that, get, a, you get a better read on it. And I'm emphasizing this for a reason, but you'll get a better read on exactly that, Jake, at the start of 2024. 
what do they do when they play Correct. the Bucks and they play the Celtics? Are they experimenting yeah. right now? Or is this really well, a I, new niche in what they want to do? And I think the thing that they need to sort through is when they do that, does it in Milwaukee and Boston, for example, you know, they were able to beat those teams in those tournament games because Halliburton was just I mean, he was out of control. I mean, in a good way, I'm saying. Like he was hitting everything and not turning the ball. He was on his own. He, he was he be, the other team has Giannis and Lillard, and he belonged in the same breath of those two players Correct. on those particular nights. Correct. And I think this is a really unpopular opinion. Okay. I like those. When Marcus Johnson, who is the Quinn Buckner of the Bucks television broadcast, he referred to, probably out of spite, he referred to Tyrese Halliburton as, what did he call him, a wannabe superstar? Yes. A superstar is a guy that goes out and has the cape on every single night. And no matter what sink you throw at them, they always have the cape on. And Halliburton absolutely, without question, is on his way to being that player. But Marcus Johnson wasn't entirely off base. Wannabe is the wrong term, but had he said, yeah, you got this guy out there that's a not yet superstar, that's probably a better way of saying it because he has superstar tendencies, Yeah, but he is not doing it game in and game out. And at times, while he is a fabulous player, and there's no doubt he is the guy that he is the straw mixing the drink and he's a great player and he's a great personality and he has the right demeanor. He has everything you want except for this. And it comes in time. It's just part of the evolution of him. He has yet to show that he can do those kinds of offensive things night in and night out, although it is happening more frequently than it does not, which is advantage. But also, Tyrese Halliburton still is learning how to impact the game of basketball without the ball in his hands. And that's the biggest challenge because there have been times where if the ball is not in his hands, he is literally a liability. When when was that? Comment said again. You remember uh, when? It was, it was, it was in the, the game. The, the it was the famous ball stealing game, was it not? Yeah, it was their first meeting after the in season tournament. Okay, so you're telling me that last year, Wally Zerbiak calls him a wannabe all star, and now this year he's been called a wannabe superstar. So that's it. We just need to keep having people elevate him further by calling him a wannabe, and then right. he's going to get there one day. Like that's well, that's the blueprint. Jake, he meant it as an insult. <laughs> he could have said aspiring. That would have been a compliment. Yeah, no, that's my point. I mean, right. I know he meant it as an insult, but what I'm saying is, in reality, even though it was an insult, he wasn't totally yet off base. He is going to be, eventually, within probably two seasons. Yeah, he's growing. Halliburton is going to be a superstar. There's no doubt he, about he's it. He's growing to that. Right. right? There, there's a better way as a neutral, not as a Bucks fan or Pacers fan, where you can say he is a rising superstar in the league. Additionally, uh, he called him one of the best floppers in the association, too. So I was like, what? well, that's a, I mean, that's like being the best floppers, like being the best point guard of the Lollipop Guild. I mean, that, that's the entire league, is it not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is on the that is on the. The only non-flop the Pacers or any team have had this year <laughs> is when Aaron Neesmith and Jalen Smith legitimately ran into each other and knocked each other out. Right, F- flopper in NBA terms, especially if you're on an announcing crew, is top five sour grapes comment. You're right. Period. Like that's just there. You're right, and it's also, but it is like saying, you know, he he's the biggest wide receiver diva. Yeah. I, I mean, come on, right? Yeah. They're, they're a dime a dozen for crying out loud. Matt Taylor 
JT the Brick still upcoming. Here's good. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Trivia question for you gentlemen. The number one overall song in the Billboard chart for the decade of the 1980s is that one that Eduardo just fired up for us. I played that because you said you liked Aaron Neesmith because he's not afraid to get physical. Nice. He's out there like on the uh, exercise bike with old Olivia, right? You should like that song because it's Olivia and that's the name of your significant other, right? Well, you see that there's a difference. Her name's spelled with an O, mine is spelled with an A. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's literally Olivia? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's unique. It's kind of cool, right? The fun fact that she always gives whenever somebody asks her for a fun fact is that there's only one of her. So, like, if you that's look fair. up your name and, like, they tell you how many Jake Queries there are in the world. Yeah, there's one in Noblesville. There is only one Olivia, like, with her name. Really? Mm-hmm. With the, the with the last name attached. Yes. Oh, okay. with the last yes. name. Yeah, that's important. Yes. Well, you can never get married then. Because there might be an Olivia Garrison, right? Man, would that I'd be something if that was like the deciding factor? <laughs> well, there's an Olivia Garrison. Eddie, I can't do it. Well, Sorry. To, but you know, a lot of celebrities get married and never change their name, right? Yeah. That's true. Now, Olivia Newton-John, when she passed, I think it is impossible. Somebody debated me on this, and I will, I will die on this hill, okay? From 19, I'm not saying that there were not others, but from 1977 to 1981, Olivia Newton-John was among, in my opinion, she was the most famous entertainer, female entertainer in the world for that four-year stretch. She was everywhere between Greece and physical and... You know, the, I mean, Xanadu, I mean, she like literally she was everywhere. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, I have a question for you guys before we get to, and by the way, the Colts back on the practice field. Good news for you Colts fans. Braden Smith practicing second straight day. Uh, I he was off the team. Zach Moss. It's been so long. I No kidding, right? <laughs> here, here, here I was thinking that he just transferred to Purdue and was playing point guard. Uh, Zach Moss back in the mix at practice, and Michael Pittman Jr. is practicing without now the red no-contact jersey, which would be an indication that he is progressing through concussion protocol and possibly would be ready for the game against the Raiders on Sunday. Now, again, uh, I, I will admit, I mean, when it comes to the concussion protocol and those kinds of injuries, I that is absolutely one of them that I'm like, take as long as you need, man, before you, to be unequivocally and without question 100% before you return to the practice field. Would you be concerned... Last week, it was because they had to fly to Atlanta, right. and he developed, I think it was a headache or in concussion-like symptoms again. They don't have to travel this week, so would you be concerned about the possibility of something like that happening again, but only because he's not flying? Right. Um, I think any time, Eddie, that you're talking about concussions and the long-term impact or effects of it, concern is maybe a little bit of an extreme word, but there's always caution. Let's say that. And, you know, I think neurologically speaking, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. I, my, when I was five, my mom had a little wooden doctor thing that 
hung in my bedroom because she thought I was going to be a doctor. And then the first time that you go through school and report cards come out, my parents said, you should be a sportscaster. Um, I thought you were going to say she yanked it off the wall. Pretty well, much. We, we got that much. one wrong. She so was like, she knew you wouldn't be good at algebra, is what you're saying. She was absolutely aware of it. But but I'll tell you part of why I'm not good at algebra, and Eddie, there's it ties into your question, quite frankly. And I mentioned this the other day on the air. I do think that part of the reason I was not good at algebra is because I was on a medication between the ages of 14 and actually no 12 from the age of 12 till the age of 16 i was on a medication called dilantin which i needed to be on because it was determined that i was epileptic and after the fact they kind of figured out or thought about the fact that in, that i had juvenile epilepsy and they thought that it might have been the result of the fact that i played football youth football as a as a kid and the neurologist determined that I might have taken a hit to the head playing youth football that later became the reason why I developed juvenile epilepsy. And I have no idea the validity of that, or, you know, maybe that's long since been ruled out as a possibility because that was 30 years ago, I, you know, 40 years ago. So I, you know, but, but my point being the limited, the time that I was around and having to go to, albeit like, you know, a pediatric level neurologist for four or five years. The one thing that I was able to determine and tell, even at that age, is that the brain from the human body standpoint, medically speaking, is truly like the last frontier. It is the biggest mystery in terms of the, how it works. I mean, it's obviously an incredible organ, but just in terms of the treatment and the protection of it, yeah, there are probably going to be times that err on the side of caution. And I do think that when you go through a, depending on the severity of the concussion that he had, he could have, you know, flashbacks for lack of a better phrase for years. I, who knows, right? I mean, you just don't know. I mean, we've seen a couple times this season in, in his career, Ryan Kelly, his, they've always been extra cautious with him because Correct. he has a track record of it. Yeah. And I mean, and you look at, you know, I was talking to a guy yesterday that played football at Tennessee State University. And he's like, and he he told me he goes, look, man, there's not a guy, and I mean, it's a different era. We're talking about a guy that was, you know, like in the late '60s, early '70s. But but he was telling me he's like, the guys that you know, he's now in his early '70s, and he's like, I don't know. I, I take that back. He didn't play. He was in a fraternity with football players. I'm sorry, but he told me he said I, I had the guys that I ran with that played college football at Tennessee State 50 years ago. Virtually every one of them has some sort of neurological damage that is very apparent today now totally different i mean you didn't have these kinds of precautions is what i'm getting at right so long-winded and circuitously to your answer eddie it, with michael Pittman or any player the one injury that i think if you look at it and they go hey he's got recurring this because coming off a concussion i, I just think it is literally totally unknown and you're going to err on the side of caution more than you are even an ankle or a pinky or an elbow. You yeah, know like, what I mean? like the NFL already has in place the setup of the independent neurologist has to clear them, and it's largely dictated by the league, right? Like it's not one of these where, oh, it's just like a you know a hamstring injury, just tough it out. Go like they right. have to pass that initial thing, and then kind of like what happened with the Colts, it's on you and it's on the team if symptoms pop up again to re-report and then go through it again. So that's an area where if you're a team, maybe you could manipulate it. You absolutely shouldn't because player safety is the paramount point here. The other point in terms of however Michael Pittman Jr. is feeling, if I'm him, 
and I get cleared, if symptoms pop up again, why I'd want to be honest about it, not just my long-term health and my future, again, outside of football, but beyond that, it, it would be different for me from a player standpoint if this is a... If they are a top three or top four team in the AFC, I feel like you're more guns all in, ready to go, maybe overtly cautious yeah, to some extent. Uh, that may be not, the case. Not the NFL's part. I mean the player's right, no, no, psychological no, no. Sure. aspect yeah, yeah. of it. You know, the I think there's an element of this as well, and I'm glad that this is the case, but I think it's worth – I definitely think – when I worked at WIBC years ago, 2007, we would get pitched all the time – as Eddie knows, when you when you are a producer for a radio show, you get emails all the time of like, hey, so-and-so just wrote a book about fly fishing in Montana and would be a great guest on your program. You know, And you're like, okay. We got one in 2007 and said it was a pitch for an interview. Myself, Terry Stacey, Dan McGowan was the producer. And it was a pitch about a doctor who had done studies on concussion protocol concussions and the impact of it playing football so we interviewed him and we taped the interview because we thought well we'll tape it unfortunately he was kind of hard to understand just be not a language barrier but he had a very thick accent he was a fascinating guy and super friendly and i remember he 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 answered every question by starting it saying yes please thank you and then he would answer the question but anyway it turned out to be the doctor that the movie. What was the movie that Will Concussion. Smith was in? I just looked it up. I figured that's who you're talking yeah. about. Concussion. Yeah. Uh, I forget his. What's his name? I, uh, I Bennett Amalu. That's it. Bennett Amalu. So that's who. That's who it was. And so we did this interview. So this would have been 16 years ago. And in the interview, he was telling us, like, look, we've been doing more and more research and more and more. I mean, you know, you've seen the movie, so you know what it's about. Yep. I mean, he was he was waving this flag, right? And people were like, "Oh, come on!" And we didn't even. My point being to the story is we didn't I don't think we ever aired the interview because we just didn't it was like, well, I don't I mean, this is kind of out of left field. Well, he was way ahead of his time, right? And he was he was basically setting off and, and making everybody alert and aware of this forewarning about what then we saw before our not before our very eyes literally but we started seeing the Dave Dewersons and the Junior Seals and the guy in the Jim McMahons where we're like whoa wait a minute something's going on here so because of that and because that movie in particular created this this image that the NFL was aware of but dismissive of or aware of and again I'm saying image I'm not saying reality but the perception was that the NFL had dismissed the importance and severity of neurological damage that was being done by playing the sport. And therefore, I can totally see why now how the NFL, you could say that it's because of the Players Association or an increased awareness and protection of the players. But it also, to a little bit of an extent, Jimmy, let's be honest, is about an awareness and a protection of the yeah. brand, yeah. right? Because now they are maybe even overcompensatory and overprotective because they see, oh gosh, these people were right. Yes, and and so and I'm, but I'm glad of that. I mean, I'm not damning them for it. I'm glad that it worked out that way. But let's be real: there probably is as much a part of it about like just the imagery of all of it as as anything else. Yeah, it's right? one of those things where like 
I wish it wouldn't have taken as long as it did. I'm sure former players wish it wouldn't have taken sure, as right? long as it did. But oftentimes, whenever you find something groundbreaking or something that's going to shake, whether it's sports, whether it's life, something of the very institution you believe in, you get pushback. There are a couple of players in this market. When I say in this market, I don't mean that live here. I mean former Colt players that I've that I know. Um, that people would be surprised. Sad. I mean, there there are, there are a couple that I've seen lately that um, that I like that I've gotten to know as people, and it's tough, man. I mean, they're struggling, they're unhealthy, they um, their body is starting to break down, starting at the epicenter, which is their brain, because of hits, and they were, you know, hit a smelling salt and go back out kind of guys, right? Um. I have a question for you guys, by the way, on a totally different subject. Are, are we still doing the threads, Jimmy? When's the last time you did a? Th- did you open a threads account? Yeah, that first week was great. I think I made one post. I have not been on since. Like I have a threads account, which is basically the Facebook version of X Twitter, right? Yeah. And I think, like most people, I now, now here's the problem I have with this. Again, I'm still having this problem, so. And I'm needing you guys for tech support, but are you still I, on there actively? Well, no, not actively. I, okay. I got an account just because I thought, okay, if if Twitter is going to go away, and this thing takes over, I want to make sure that I have the name, the username, cornered. Absolutely. So, because to Eddie's point, there is another Jake Query. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't think we're related. He lives in Noblesville, younger guy. But I thought, well, I'm going to beat this guy to the punch, right? So, in order to get a Threads account which I was doing, you know, preemptively, in order to get that account, I had to open an Instagram account, right? Yes. I, I, and I know that most people have have had Instagram for a long time. I did not. The Instagram thing is a little confusing to me. Whenever I open it, all I see is Britney Spears in a bikini dancing around. That's the only thing that I see. Do you follow anybody? I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think so. Like, do you have... But apparently, and I don't know that I follow Britney Spears. I'm, I must be, because every time I open it up... Like, right now, I'm, I'm going to... Look, I'm going to I'm gonna push on my phone the Instagram thing. All right. And then I'm going to turn it around, and you tell me what's on there. All right. You ready? Oh, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. It's just a bunch of different things now. Oh, here we go. I'm going to the homepage. There you okay. go. Good call. What is it? It, it? it appears to be somebody in a bikini. I can't read the Twitter handle, or the Instagram handle from here. But yes, yeah, somebody in a bikini with a... Eddie? Okay, it looks like something People at? Magazine. No, wait a minute. Yeah, who am I looking at? It's Britney Spears. It's Britney Spears in a pool. And a bikini. That, that, that's all that, I mean, I think I'm following a bunch of people. But at any rate, the threads thing, I think, because now I'm getting notifications when somebody like sends me a thread, and I'm like, I don't think anybody's doing this anymore. So am I safe to just go ahead for now and delete the app? Yeah. I mean, I don't have the app anymore. Occasionally, I'll get a notification that says four people followed you. I look at it; they're all bots. I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> it's those same people. Man, that are- all that all that content I've been churning out. One post. I never made an account, so I never experienced it. Okay. It was a great. It was a great little stretch. I love it because it felt like first day of school vibes because no one really knew what to do, and every post was like, "Okay, I'm here on Threads now." Right. You can see like Ford well, making but- a post or ESPN making a post, but like on but Threads. You have the, the all of the threads that I was getting were either people that I follow from like, and they were out of order, yeah, or people I don't follow, and I'm like, this is exactly why I was jumping over here was to not see this idiot anymore, sure. right? Yes, it was very frustrating. It's a Thursday. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Day that feels like a Wednesday, although now I'm starting to get the feeling that, in fact, tomorrow is the start of yet another three-day weekend, right? Right. Like, this week, in its best, and I'm very, like, obviously, we don't do a real job. I'm very happy to be in here. But if you're a, a, an everyday worker, I would hope that you're likely at home listening to us right now because this is, again, punt week two in the back-to-back right. back to end any given year. Well, the week midway through on a hump day Wednesday is when we found out the finalist for the NFL or rather the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Reggie Wayne's on it. Dwight Freeney's on it. We are efforting to use a term that's not really a word. Dwight Freeney on the program within the next couple of days. But Reggie Wayne did speak earlier. Of course, he is the wide receiver coach for the Colts. He is eligible. He had the following to say that Eddie has come up with. Oh man, I mean, it is what it is. It's a lot of stuff I, you know, I've waited on in my lifetime, right? I've been in the same situation. I've waited on to become the number one receiver for the coach for six, seven years. You know what I mean? So I don't have a problem with waiting. I've waited on a lot of stuff. I didn't always get that BMX bike when I was a kid, right? I didn't get that Nintendo right when it came out, <laughs> you know? So you got to wait. You got to wait to. You know, your number's call or your your your, your opportunity, and uh, when it does, you just got to answer the bell. So again, we went over whether or not that wait is going to come to an end, and he's going to get in. I, I, I do think, and I l- listen, I love Reggie Wayne. Loved him as a player. Loved him as a guy. I, I did a show with him for multiple seasons, and probably from a media standpoint, was around him as much as anybody. Um, and saw, you know, up close the the commitment to the franchise, to his body, to his craft, all of it. Great respect for him. And do I think he should be in? I do. But I also think that at no fault of his, he plays the position that is probably the most challenging because, number one, there are a lot of great players at it. And number two, it is the position that comes with the highest amount of caveat. Well, that guy's a product of the system. Well, that guy played with this guy. Well, that guy had this quarterback. I mean, quite frankly, part of what might hurt him, ironically enough or strangely enough, is the fact that he played with Peyton Manning. Because I think there are a lot of people that look at it and go, it, the same thing with Julian Edelman. Like, we, we, we look at Now, he's a better player. I want to re-clarify the statement. He's a Reggie better Wayne player belongs in, like, far before Correct. we have any Julian Edelman conversation. But Edelman, though, I mean, there, it, there are a lot of people that are going to look at Edelman and go, well, you know, he's Tom Brady, the, look he, who he played around. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just, yes. insert, you know, Tom Brady, I'll tell you an interesting Wayne fact. has a standalone resume, though. I'm going to cut you off, but, like, you put Wayne, let's, let's, I know you can't take out Peyton, but if you put Wayne with any other great quarterback of that era, he puts up the same numbers. Maybe better if Marvin Harrison's not next to him, right? Like it's he has enough, unlike the Edelman case, where you can clearly point and say, "Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer." The Tom Brady, by the way, I believe this is still the case, and it probably will forever be the case. To me, it's Tom Brady won how many Super Bowls? Seven, six in New England. Of the six that he won in New England, he did not win a single Super Bowl in New England with a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Yes, because they didn't win when Moss was there. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, gr- impressive. In right? today's NFL, tight ends are just as important. Like, Gronk is 
Gronk carried weight. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. By what you're saying, that's true. And you're right. Gronk was basically a wide receiver. It's like I mean, it's kind of a trick question, almost, right? Correct. Because Gronk was (laughs) that he was as big a literally as big a threat as you could get. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean from a receiving standpoint. Um, You know this Raiders game with the Colts is. Whoever would have guessed from either side that it was gonna that this was gonna be this big on the penultimate game of the season. I mean, I would never have going into the year, but from a Raiders standpoint, I mean, you're still crossing T's, dot and I's, saying your prayers and hoping for the best because they still need a ton to happen. Whereas the Colts, you win two, you're basically in. Like that, the New York Times model is one of the more popular ones to use for playoff simulations. Ninety nine percent chance for the Colts if they win out, like. You're getting in if you win these next two games. For the Raiders, you need that to happen, and then the Chiefs to continue to piss down their leg. Now, now just happen. so you know, uh, because we're now on the same floor as our friends over at IBC, don't mention the reliability of that New York Times research <laughs> across the hall, right? We don't want any sort of a Giannis-type issue. Okay. okay. I, I'm just, I mean, I'm here to help. I appreciate right? that. I'll I, keep it in mind. I, I want to make sure. Uh, Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts, and he's also our next guest. Talk to Matt. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, Taylor. Just a couple minutes. The voice of the Colts again. If you are just joining us, where have you been? The news from the Colts complex today. Braden Smith back out on the practice field. Second day in a row. Michael Pittman Jr., Practicing and no red non-contact jersey, which would mean that it would appear he is taking the first step through the concussion protocol and moving his way out of it. But to Eddie's point, which is a very good one, uh, you know, it at any point that could, when it comes to concussions, you just don't know, right? Uh, Zach Moss also back on the practice field. You know, suddenly they're a, a team that has like riches in the backfield, Jimmy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's been... Plenty of depth throughout the course of the year, ignoring the absence of Jonathan Taylor for part of it, whether it's been Trey Sermon, whether it's been Zach Moss. They've had options there to balance out the running game. But if the injury report goes the way it could go this week, I need a kind of, oh, it's 2021 Jonathan Taylor type performance going into this weekend again, Las Vegas, and really in the entire stretch run of this push the final two games so we now have matt taylor on the program and matt we'll begin with this football aside because i know it was a disappointment for colts fans in atlanta um but aside from that good holiday for you oh yeah no absolutely got home at a very reasonable time on christmas eve and got back around seven forty-five, and uh had plenty of time to get ready for santa and play with the kids the next day got woken up about i don't know 6 a.m uh on christmas day and Went down and, um, you know, unwrapped some presents from Santa and then spent some time with some family. So, no, it was a really good holiday despite uh, it, it, it starting, you know, losing by 19 points the day before. But and, all things in a perspective, really good, really fun day. Matt, one of the things that I, I learned from you last week that I found interesting is that you had mentioned, for those that didn't hear it, that when you were a kid, uh, Santa at your house, and and I don't know if you guys just lived in a more rem, like remote area of Indy, but it, or if Santa needed a break, maybe you left out good cookies. Santa would actually put the toys together at your house, right, before getting yeah. going back up the chimney. Now, is that does he do that with for your kids as well, or did this. Santa retire from that? I wanted to ask this. I'm glad you did. 
Yeah, no, Santa Santa lives on. Um, Santa puts Santa brought the big stuff. You know, Santa Santa brings the big things. You know, Santa brought like bikes and um, you know, one year Santa brought like a little miniature Papa shot for the basement. You know, and and those things were all out of the box. And Santa put those together so that we could come down right away and start playing with them. I mentioned I got a Sega um, from Santa that was already you know put together out of the out of the box, hooked up to the TV, so you could just start playing right away. So that's a, that's absolutely what we do for our kids too when Santa comes. Are you a Papa Shot fiend, Matt? You, you put in work against the kids against whoever. How do you do? <laughs> I mean, when, when the neighborhood kids came over, Jimmy, they had no chance. Now. They had no chance. Yeah. That's right. So. Absolutely, I had home court advantage. You knew where all the sweet spots were. You knew where the yep. the floor kind of leaned to one direction or the other, so you can kind of account for that. There's no doubt those kids. So we had a ping pong table one time from Santa, so they got worked over worked over too. The neighborhood kids just got hustled. Wait, did you say when you were a kid? Did you have a basement? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we like I never. I, I've always felt like social supremacy for childhood is determined by two things: whether you have a basement, <laughs> and then how many, how much junk food your mom buys, right? My- well, I had one out of, one out of two of those things because the basement. I turned the basement into everything, Jake. You know, like I had a big imagination as a kid, so like I would turn the basement into a movie theater. I turned it into Market Square Arena and played basketball down there by myself. Um, I turned it into, um, you know, IMS in the month of May. I turned it into a racetrack. But my mom, my mom would go to Kroger once a week, and when the food was out, the food was out. Yep. So we didn't oh, yeah. have the junk food department. Yeah. 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 My mom's like, "Would you like some wheat thins?" I'm like, "Mom, no. It, it, people want Twinkies. What are we doing here?" Um, okay, Matt. This one, I was saying, you know, to use your imagination, you know, young Matt Taylor or or a kid like that was looking at the cold schedule. And probably in August was saying, you know, we're going to have to get pretty imaginative in order to make the Colts Raiders game in December be one that's a big one. And yet here we are. Uh, You know, this is big not only for the Colts, but I think the thing that's dangerous, Matt, is this is a pretty big one for the Raiders, too, because the division's still in play for them. So a lot on the line. Let's begin with Indianapolis from the health standpoint, where things are and where you anticipate them being for this one. Well, I mean, the big one obviously is Michael Pittman Jr., and it was really unfortunate the fact that he, you know, cleared protocol, but then traveled to Atlanta, and then those symptoms crept back up. I mean, that's the nature of the beast with the concussion protocol, man. You just never know, and so he's right back into the the protocol this week, having to clear those same five hurdles that he did last week. But you know, you you kind of feel this week like you felt last week in terms of being encouraged. I mean. He's still practicing. Um, he's practicing again today, and we'll find out if it's a full designation or what in a couple of hours. But you, you feel encouraged about where he's at. You know, Jonathan Taylor seems to be okay in terms of um, you know handling the workload. I think he had 18 carries the other day, and you know he seems to be healthy and, and able to kind of bounce back with the right thumb injury that he had, missing three games. So he looks to be okay. Zach Moss is practicing today. Again, we'll find out if it's full or limited in, in, in just a little bit. Um, so injury-wise and health-wise, you feel good. You're optimistic about where this team is at. Um, but again, we've got a long way to go between, especially with Pittman's case, between now and, and Sunday. But um, that, that, those are big. I mean, the Colts just had a hard time you know, pushing the ball outside the numbers and stretching the field vertically on Sunday. I mean, I think 
the outside receivers combined for like what four catches for just over 30 yards if I'm not mistaken you had some drops in there so there's no question they felt the loss or the absence in this case of Michael Pittman Jr. not being able to go in Atlanta. Matt, if I look at the Colts roster, and you mentioned that Atlanta game, it's one obviously we highlighted in depth earlier in the week, but if I look at the Colts roster in 2023, and I don't want him to rush back. We put that clarifier on there to start. I don't want Michael Pittman Jr. to rush back. If he feels symptoms again, it's not worth it. His long-term health is more important. But when you take him away, is it fair to say that's just one offensive weapon taken away too much for what's been an already tough year for the Colts, when you look at some of the players they've lost, most notably Anthony Richardson, is it fair to say his absence is one bridge too far? And if it's unfair, why? And what would you point to as, no, if this happens, they're still okay? Well, I mean, you only have the one game to go off of, and it's a small sample size, but it is an indication of, of how tough it was for the Colts to move the ball. I mean, you know, they, they scripted, obviously, the first series, and it went well, scoring a touchdown. But then after that, um, again, you know, you had DJ Montgomery and Alec Pierce combining for only four catches. You had some drops, some pivotal, um, you know, uh, mistimed drops, you know, around midfield or a third down that would have continued drives for the Colts. So they got to get that cleaned up. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's fair to say again in a short sample size, the Colts had a really difficult time moving the ball and again stretching the field. I mean, you know, they had 92 rushing yards last week, but it, but it felt like it was less than that, to be honest with you, because of all the the short gains, you know, the ones and, and two yard gains uh, by Jonathan Taylor. Um, it's almost like the Colts were playing on a on a fifteen yard field, you know, without Michael Pittman Jr. Again, not being able to stretch it outside the numbers, um, and, and teams are just playing so close to the line of scrimmage, knowing um, that they don't have it. They did not have anybody to be able to kind of just you know, take over the game uh, in the passing game. And that's what the Colts have, have kind of done here. And again, not taking anything away from Montgomery's ability against the, the Steelers to step up and play well. But, you know, when you lose Michael Pittman Jr., like that, I think that's like 30% of the team's uh, catch percentage. I think Pittman ranks second in the NFL in terms of catch percentage for, for a team. So an incredibly high number. Um, so a lot of targets and a lot of catches going to one guy, and you got to give Michael Pittman Jr. a lot of credit because teams know that or have known that um, this season, and yet he's still coming up with huge catches and big moments, you know, third down, red zone, getting in the end zone, all of those things. Um, so he's a, a true difference maker, and, you know, throughout the course of four quarters in Atlanta, it was really difficult for the Colts to move the ball, specifically because so many teams or so many players, I should say, you know, those linebackers playing so close in the line of scrimmage. It was hard for the Colts to run um, between the guards, and they try to get some things going on the outside, but it was just kind of a, too much of a, um, you know, an order for, for Jonathan Taylor to be patient and squeak out. I mean, he would do that a couple of times, but it would only be, you know, for three and four yards at a time. Um, so just the, the big playability wasn't there against Atlanta. And again, in one small sample size, without Michael Pittman Jr., it was really hard for the Colts. Matt Taylor's our guest, the voice of the Colts. Colts and Raiders coming up here in this, the second-to-last game of the regular season. Of course, the playoffs very much in play for both franchises. Matt, I thought Gus Bradley made a really interesting point when he was asked about why they weren't getting to the quarterback 
when they were playing Atlanta, and he was saying, look, part of that is because their running game was such that we just couldn't gamble by bringing too much pressure on that, and we kind of had to load up things in terms of the running game itself. Um, do you think that continues? How much have you gotten a chance to see what the Raiders might be able to do and what the Raiders with Aiden O'Connell, who is not a guy who's yet as established through the air, will they also try to basically do death by paper cuts from the running game? No, it's a it's a great observation by you, and it, it was spot on because the the Falcons killed the Colts on play action because of how good their running game was, and they gashed the Colts um, with some misdirection runs. You know, you had some counters in there, you had some you know quick sweeps into the boundary, um, and just it was a really poor tackling game by the Colts as well. I think the Colts missed over twenty tackles in that game. I read. Um, so a really disappointing game, you know, just in terms of the fundamentals, if you will, for the Colts defense. Um, and that's going to be something to watch out for in terms of the Raiders and how they counter with that. And if you look at the Raiders' offense, you know, they got Aiden O'Connell. He's a rookie. And for the most part this year, he's played like a rookie, you know, just over 60% completion percentage. Uh, I think he's got eight touchdowns and seven picks. Um, and, you know, everybody knows about last week the struggles – really from the end of the first quarter on. He didn't complete a single pass. He misfired on his last 10 um, passing attempts. Um, so they, they really ran the ball really, really well. And they're kind of a deceptive team right now on both sides of the ball. But specifically, I would say on offense, you know, you look at their numbers, they're 31st in the NFL in rushing, right? So that's second to last in the league. But and since uh, Antonio Pierce took over, they've got a different identity. And for whatever reason, they're running the ball way more effectively now than they did in their first eight games of the year. Their last seven games, they're over 100 yards in five of those games. You know, last week, you know, they ripped off like a buck 57 against the Chiefs, and that was really the part of their offense that they relied on, obviously, with O'Connell struggling in the passing game. You know, Kazir White came in, ran the ball really, really well. So the Colts are going to have to contend with that. And, you know, I I know Grover Stewart's back, but – it's not like he's the, the, the magic elixir um, in trying to slow down the run because the Colts have given up, what, 100 yards in eight of their last nine games? And Grover is back, but teams are still able to run the ball and get chunk plays on the Colts. They've got to get that figured out. That's, that's part of their defense that I think I am most surprised by, let's say, um, consistently throughout the season is just how much teams or how well teams have been able to run the ball on this Colts front considering they were so good in that department for most of last year. Um, so in the final two games, that's the part of the defense I want to see kind of step outside of themselves and get things cleaned up. Um, and if they can do that, stop the other team's running ability, uh, obviously would set themselves up very favorably down and distance-wise, get the pass rush going, and make life uncomfortable for a rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. Voice the Colts' Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelly Materials, concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, when you look at what the Colts have faced in terms of opposing defensive ends, and then you look at what's it on the table in terms of that matchup against the Raiders, Max Crosby's one of the best defensive ends in the league. There's no doubt about that. He's just a walking, running, wrecking ball. And then the last couple of weeks, Malcolm Kuntz has done a wonderful job in terms of his numbers and being like a complimentary piece there that have given teams fits. Obviously, getting Braden Smith in terms of the totality of the line is great for the Colts, but when you look at that particular matchup in the trenches where does that rank in terms of what they've faced previously and how do you think they'll handle that pressure on Sunday coming from both ends 
Well, it's big for Braden Smith to come back because primarily you've got Crosby that lines up over the right tackle. Now they move him around a little bit, but that's kind of where he lives. And, you know, just watching the Raiders, you know, the little that I have this year and then kind of studying them on tape, um, he, they line him up uh, over the tackle. They line him way outside the tackle box so he can get a head start, kind of that takes that appropriate harsh angle to the quarterback. They move him inside. Um, you know, they run stunts, you know, some twists. So he's going to be lined up over the guards at, at times as well. But you're exactly right. I mean, Crosby and Koontz, Koontz especially, he's having, he's having uh, kind of a breakout year this year. Not a lot of people were familiar with this guy, but I think those two players, Crosby and Koontz, combined for like 51% of the team's sack total. And if you just watched the game last week, I thought the Raiders did a fantastic job, just a phenomenal job of lane integrity, right, pass rush discipline, because Patrick Mahomes, he was flustered all game long, and he kept, you know, rolling out and then was hemmed in by, you know, the guy on the left side of the pass rush. He then would baseball turn his way from traffic, and there would be another guy in his face. So they just kept pushing him backwards, kept pushing that pocket away from the line of scrimmage. And the Colts did that, actually. I know this is kind of a tangent, but the Colts did that against Mahomes a couple years ago. Actually, last year in week three, they did a really good job of that. And I think um, the Raiders took a page from that and and their pass rush integrity. Um, So I was just really impressed with um, their overall consistency, being able to get in the face of Mahomes. They didn't get them – you know, uh, a, a ton in terms of the sacks. I think they got four, which is a good number, but it's not like seven or eight. But they made him very uncomfortable um, for the most of for for the um, majority of that ball game. And I was just really impressed with Crosby, but more specifically Coons, because you know what Crosby is. You know he's going to get his twelve to thirteen sacks. He's got thirteen and a half sacks so far this year. He's second in the NFL in tackles for loss. But Malcolm Coons, I was really. Um, you know, taken aback by how disruptive he was, and he's definitely on the Colts' radar this week. Matt, when when watching the NFL, which you you know you've obviously done a lot of, goes without saying. I think everybody can like a player that just goes out and and plays at a level that almost exceeds what's ex- almost like they're the last person to realize they're not supposed to be doing what they're doing on the field. You know what I mean? Like the underdog story. Everybody likes the underdog story, right? Uh, While we're sitting here talking, I'm looking up things about the Colts and the Raiders game, and somebody in the 453 section of Lucas Oil Stadium, which is a fine seat, I mean, you're right there in the end zone, you got a really good view of watching the play develop, somebody's got two tickets for sale on the resale market uh, for $9,000 a piece. Now, that seems uh, like optimistic, (laughs) does it not? (laughs) Are you being being for real? Yeah. There's two, I'm looking right here. Uh, Lodge level 453 row 13 two tickets for sale $9,061 each now yeah, if that guy uh, it, let me tell you something if it, here's what we need if that guy sells that we need them selling advertising on this radio station right I mean <laughs> no kidding I mean that's I mean, impressive is it not yeah that guy can sell uh, ice to an Eskimo right there I mean, that's, <laughs> no, no that's question yeah he's currently selling uh popsicles to guys or ketchup popsicles to guys in white suits that's impressive nine thousand bucks hey I mean does he does he realize the Colts have a game the following week as well? <laughs> yeah. yeah those are 11 grand that's right um, so uh, I'm curious of this though kidding aside in the games that you've watched Matt in the in the times that you've done this when we get to this point in the year, 
do teams experiment at all with giving and maybe this is more of a playoff question but for these two teams the playoffs are on the line right you got to push all in do teams come up with new wrinkles at all at this point or is it really a matter of this is the time of year where you should have honed what you do best and push those chips in and that's it yeah i mean i think that's a good question i think for the most part you you practice the way um, that you operate. I mean, you kind of are who you are in terms of your culture and your identity and, you know, what, you, what you're about in terms of your preparation, the way you meet, you know, the timing of things. I don't think you screw with that because for the most part, um, it's worked, right? I mean, you're eight and seven. Um, you're, all, you're still on a little bit of a run here, you know, after the, uh, after the Germany game. Um, so from a culture standpoint, I don't think you change anything because – you don't want to deviate from from your routine and how you go about your business as a professional organization, if you will. But obviously, yes. I mean, every single week you're putting in uh, a new set of plays. Um, you're putting in, you know, what works against that defense um, and try to get the advantage there. As you watch a lot of tape, you're always putting in things that have worked against the Raiders' defense. Um, or you know some some blitzes and stunts uh, that that have gotten to you know Aiden O'Connell against their offensive line. Uh, so you're always kind of game specific, and you know we see that on a week to week basis under Shane Steichen. There's always a handful of plays that kind of look um, as, as the outliers from what the Colts you know traditionally run you know schematically on offense. I mean again I think I talked about it last week. Uh, you know is that that play they called Germany? It was that. Um, yeah, kind of like re- reverse or flea flicker pass back to Gardner Minshew where he threw it down the field to Kylan Granson. Um, that was the play they had up for the Germany game, which is why they called it that. But they didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't get called in that game, but they kept it in the playbook and kept it as the same name. So you're always going to have plays like that um, that are game-specific that sort of get you the edge schematically against uh, your opponent that week that may not work you know, week to week, if you're playing a different team, Matt, the game and you had mentioned that, I mean, if these are $9,000 seats, imagine what it's going to be against the Houston Texans to end out the year. (laughs) CJ Stroud coming, you know, I think he's back in practice, fine young player for the Texans who have also had probably an exceed expectation season was the best case scenario. And I know Matt, listen, I get it. I get that players are going to tell you till the cows come home that they don't overlook things, that they take everything serious, that it's one week at a time. I get all that. But is the best case scenario perhaps for the Colts the fact that the Raiders beat the Chiefs because it, it, it kind of perks up your antenna and you go, okay, these guys are are playing for real and they ain't messing around. Whereas if they'd gone in and gotten beat as we thought they would by Kansas City, then yep. perhaps this becomes an even bigger trap game because of what's next. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're absolutely spot on. I think it helps to the fact that the Colts got handled pretty pretty easily in Atlanta, right? I mean, I, you got to be fair about that. They got handled, and now they have to think about the fact that they had an opportunity slip to their fingertips, a, a golden opportunity. Had they won that game, they'd be in first place in the division right now, and they know that, right? And I love what Gardner Minshew said after the game, right, to paraphrase him. You, you can't worry about – we beat this team, they beat that team, and so we have the tiebreaker. No, I mean, forget that, dude. Like, it's it's not about that anymore. you got to go out and take care of your own business. And it's all about perspective. I mean, Gardner Minshew specifically, he's like a lot of guys in the NFL and then certainly within that Colts locker room. But 
you're, you're guaranteed nothing. You're guaranteed absolutely nothing. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, they can cut you at any time. And so when you're on the doorstep to make the playoffs, you got to capitalize because you don't know when that opportunity is going to come for you to get a chance to play in the postseason and have a chance to reach the Super Bowl. Every kid's dream, right? So I love what he said after the game. And I also think that, too, yes, I mean, with, with, with the Raiders handling the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you know, on the road, making a statement, you know, standalone window, national audience, all of that stuff. I do think it sends a message, message to the Colts that, hey, even though this team is, you know, under 500, they're not playing like a seven and eight football team. This is a team that's pretty dialed in right now um, and pretty motivated under an interim head coach, Antonio Pierce. So I think that helps the Colts psychologically. But on the other side of the coin, I'm really interested, and I don't know to what degree maybe the Colts felt this last week coming off that win against uh, Pittsburgh. You know, psychologically, that was a really important game for the Colts, right? I mean, it was an AFC game. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh was you know, had the same record as the Colts. I mean, all of that stuff. Plus, Pittsburgh had beaten the Colts eight straight times, hadn't beat Pittsburgh since 2008, all of that. So kind of a big exhale for the Colts at the end of that game. Like, all right. You know, we got the monkey off our back a little bit. We can stop talking about Pittsburgh's dominance over us. You know, all that's kind of the bed. Well, the Raiders had all of that. I mean, Jimmy, you can attest to this, being the Chiefs fan, and I know that you are. I mean, what was it, six straight losses uh, for the for the Raiders against the Chiefs? Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes had just dominated that franchise. So I think just watching the game, you look at Antonio Pierce on the sidelines, I mean, you just look at his face, he's just – you know, very relieved at the end of that game, takes a big uh, sigh of relief, a big exhale on the sidelines and talk about the disrespect that the Raiders had been getting over the years from the Chiefs. You know, so from an emotional standpoint, I'm just really interested to see how the, the Raiders come back and how much intensity they have about them against the, the Colts in this game, knowing last week they put in so much emotionally try to beat Kansas City on a big stage. Yeah, something tells me they're not going to be smoking cigars in the locker room if they win at Lucas Oil on Sunday. Right, He's right. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Maytay, enjoy the call. Happy New Year to you and your family, and we will talk to you in 2024. Indeed. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks. By the way, if you want to sit in Section 642... If you if you look up and behind you, you'd be able to see into the press box, which is cool. Uh, but you can do that, and this is I mean this is a value at twice the price for just eleven thousand seven hundred fifty four dollars. You mm. can sit in that section. Now, Will Haskett asks an interesting question: Would you pay that if it came with Taylor Swift tickets upcoming? Um, I don't know what those would resell for, though, right? If you, if you did it that way, I mean, there's an there's a strategy there, right? Now, I'll tell you the one that's going to blow people away is the All-Star Game. Like, people around here that think like, oh, the All-Star Game's coming in February. It's going to be fun. We're going to go down. I'm going to try to get some tickets take the kids. <laughs> no. You take early looks at that secondary market right now. It is not. <laughs> what is the, not what do you think right now is the entry price for the All-Star Game? What's the entry-level price for the All-Star Game? On the secondary 3, market. 3400 Just to get in the building, right? Yeah. For the I mean, game, it, it's the already... Game itself. The, the All-Star Saturdays at Lucas, to get in like the 400 or 600 level, it's like $600 a ticket. 
maybe I'm underselling that too. I haven't looked in a while, but that's what it was when I last checked. Considering that when I put in All-Star Game, the first thing it takes me to is the NHL All-Star Game probably means there's not a lot of tickets available. Yeah. Uh, we'll look at it, take a look at it, and we also are going to go on the road. So what what are you taking on the road trip, Jimmy? What music are we playing on the road trip? We're driving. We're going all the way out to Vegas. I think we're going to, you know, in honor of some of Eddie's playlists today, we're going to just listen to the whole Grease soundtrack, I think. That's our, <laughs> that's our road trip music. Fair enough. No, a lot of Elvis. A lot of Elvis since oh, we're yeah, taking going, the trip to, to yeah, Vegas. Fair enough. Uh, our road trip to Las Vegas with JT the Brick talking about the Raiders is next. And our road trip. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Getting us set for actually the Raiders that are going to be coming here to Lucas Oil Stadium, but it takes us out to Las Vegas to talk to a guy who really needs no introduction when it comes to sports talk radio in our line of work. Most of you have heard him over the course of the years talking national sports and also a member of Raider Nation Radio in the Las Vegas Sports Network. JT the Brick joins us. First off, JT, happy holidays to you. And what now, who in the world would have guessed in August that we'd be talking about a game of this magnitude between the Colts and the Raiders? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Ma- massive game for the Raiders. And obviously, the Colts are a game ahead of the Raiders. So it's an elimination game, winner move forward, loser go home. And I think both franchises expected that. You know, Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the Raiders, before he got fired, had those expectations when he announced Jimmy Garoppolo, along with Devontae Adams, the leading rusher in the NFL, Josh Jacobs, and Mad Max Crosby, one of the best defensive players in football. But out here in Vegas, we've had a turn of events. Jimmy Garoppolo's bench, Josh McDaniels got fired. But now it's about Antonio Pierce, who came in as the interim head coach and has this team flying around, doing things defensively that they haven't done since Charles Woodson played with the Raiders and Rod Woodson and some pretty good players here. The defense has found new life, and now the Raiders have life. So with that, JT, I guess the question becomes, you know, is it a schematic change that took place for the Raiders, or was it literally just – a change of voice and belief for the roster that was there in terms of what they've been able to do defensively to get to this spot? Great question. Uh, It's more the voice because Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, is the same defensive coordinator that has been here for a couple of years, and he is fantastic. And, you know, the beginning, his first year or so, people were calling for his job. And now people are wondering if he'll be another head coach in this league, another team will take a shot at him because he's done such a good job with the defense. The Raiders got Max Crosby to an even higher level. This guy, Malcolm Kuntz, who had three sacks against Mahomes, the only player ever to get three sacks in a game against Mahomes. Malcolm Kuntz on the other side is playing really hard. They brought in a new linebacker in Robert Spillane. And then I hope you guys know the story or you're finding it with Jack Jones, who Antonio Pierce coached in high school at Long Beach Poly, brought to ASU, then brought to the Raiders from the Patriots, he had back-to-back pick sixes in the last two games where the Raiders scored 63 against the Chargers and beat Kansas City and Arrowhead. So their defense, it's kind of the same scheme, but to answer your question, the players have a much bigger voice. What's happened since what uh, the failure of Josh McDaniels was, he coached the team, he made every decision, he wrote up every scheme, and you had to follow it. 
Now you got a guy saying to players, come in my office, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? What are you better at? What are we not doing to get you involved more? And that communication has led to the Raiders having cigar parties in the, in the locker room after they win. They're, they're celebrating regular season victories because they feel like they've been unleashed. JT, is, he the cl- is Antonio Pierce the clubhouse front runner for this head coaching job when all said and done, or will there be a full search, you think, by the Davis family? Well, that's, a, that's another question. I mean, that's a tough one for me because I work for the coach. Now I work for Josh McDaniels. Now I work for uh, Antonio Pierce. I think he, he clearly proved now that he deserves the opportunity to be the head coach or be the front runner, as you said there, because Mark Davis made a really big, vetted decision when it came to McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. That wasn't just, hey, throw a name up against the wall. They really tried to build a new Raiders with the former regime. And it was very well thought out and very vetted. It just didn't work. Unfortunately, it didn't work for a number of reasons. So we'll see what Mark does here in the offseason because he let the former interim head coach go, and Rich Basaccia, who won his last four games, including beating Indy to get the Raiders into the playoffs. And Antonio Pierce is kind of building the same model, but Pierce has done everything. He grew up a Raider fan in Compton. He's connected to Raider Nation. I mean, this is special what he's doing, but Mark Davis is going to follow the protocol of the league and probably take some time in the offseason, or maybe he makes that decision 24 hours after the last game if the Raiders make it to the playoffs in theory. But, you know, back to this game, this is a must-win game for the Raiders. No matter what happened in Kansas City, we're on a short week heading into Indy playing a team that has a better record than the Raiders who are now surging. And with that, JT, you know, we talked about the defense, right? Offensively for the Raiders. JT the Brick, by the way, is our guest here on the Thursday road trip brought to you by AAA. Aiden O'Connell's a guy that everybody here is familiar with because of his Purdue ties, but I don't know that right. people – and I think there were people that thought, given an opportunity, he could play his way in the league. What has – Vegas done if anything I guess to to allow in and assimilate for his transition into the NFL in other words are they not asking a lot of him and he's just kind of a a scheme guy how have things worked with him that have also found some success for him yeah I think the best thing to say Jake is is he work he's a work in progress he's not very mobile and I cannot believe I'm talking to you after a Monday where he didn't complete a pass in the second, third, and fourth quarter. Let that sink in. He didn't complete a pass. Devontae Adams had one reception for four yards. And they, and they the won, quarter. right? Yeah, and they won. They won. And, yeah, they won. And they, uh, they won because they, they could not throw it in the second half. And Zamir White, who's taken over for Josh Jacobs, and Josh Jacobs could play this week, we'll find out. They knew that their better chance was going to be to run the football because Aiden – I asked the coach today, I'm the only one who has an interview with the head coach every week, and I just did it this morning. And I asked him, what was it? Was it the timing? Was it the rhythm? He said, yeah, it was a combination of all of it. Aiden was a little bit off with Devontae. He wasn't hitting guys in stride. They wanted to lean heavy on the run, which worked out pretty well for him in that game. But, you know, Aiden's had a couple of big moments. He's the the quarterback of the team. The franchise record is 63 points. Eight guys scored in that game, three on defense. Ken Stabler, Jim Plunkett, Tom Flores, who had the record of six touchdowns. Aiden O'Connell is the quarterback's name who's on the franchise most points of 63. And Aiden O'Connell won his first ever game at Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes. He managed the game. 
he did what he had to do, but I'm interested to see what happens here against the Colts because the Raiders can't win the game the way they won at Kansas City. I mean, I think they'll score a defensive touchdown, maybe. They'll make a turnover for sure against Gardner Minshew, but Aiden O'Connell's going to have to attack the end zone. And what disappointed me in the last game is he didn't throw it in the end zone. They weren't throwing it past the marker on third down. They took a major step backwards with the elite passing game they had to put up 63. Because remember, the reason why we're behind the Indianapolis Colts is two weeks ago, we scored zero points against Minnesota. Minnesota won 3 nothing. It put football back 100 years. If we <laughs> That's right. If we would have beat Minnesota and had the one-game lead, we'd control our destiny. I think we'd win one of the next two games and be in. We're fighting for our lives because we lost to uh, Tyson Bajan in Chicago, which got the head coach fired, and we lost 3 nothing to the Minnesota Vikings. Other than that, there's some pretty good storylines, I think you'd admit, coming from Vegas. You know, I'm curious about this, JT, and I know you got a show to do here, so we'll let you go in a minute. But I, one of the things I think would be a challenge for the Raiders, and I'm curious if this is still the case, is because they're a relocate. Now, there's no greater, honestly, like the Raiders franchise is the most perfect fit for the city of Las Vegas ever. That said, it's a destination location where fans are like, oh, man, awesome. Our team's playing in Vegas. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So do they have – are they a franchise that doesn't necessarily have home field advantage or has Henderson and Las Vegas completely wrapped their arms around the franchise to the point where they still have that advantage at home? Or is it kind of like a neutral field game every time they play? Well, there's been a couple of neutral field games, and that's been when the Niners were here. Very quick trip. Look, Minnesota had more fans. You know, our number one selling resale ticket of the entire year was the Minnesota Vikings. And we had to deal with the Chiefs. And they travel with an army and the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about that? We yeah. played them this year. In the, so every here's the way I look at this, Jake. Every fan that comes through for the first time ever is going to make their first ever road trip to Vegas. Like if your team hasn't played here yet, and this year the Giants and the Jets hadn't played here yet. So they, their fans came. But there's a huge Raider Nation crowd there. And if it's 50-50 for the first couple of years until the Raiders get to the playoffs, I can guarantee you this. Once the Raiders get it right, and they hadn't got it right with Josh McDaniels and the John Gruden emails, which is going to be a big story coming up here, his legality fight with the NFL, which he will win. He will win. When we look back at the history of the Las Vegas Raiders, unfortunately, Henry Ruggs, uh, COVID yeah. years, this, that, every you know, stadium opened up first game ever with no fans, first year with COVID. You add all that into play, all the other fans want to come out here. Raiders have done pretty good. That's why we have the Super Bowl, and we have the number one revenue team in the NFL behind the Dallas Cowboys. We're number two when it comes to revenue. We were dead last in Oakland. You've been to Oakland before. Oh, yeah. The franchise franchise is on strong, strong ground with revenue. But fans don't care about revenue, and we have the best concerts in the world at halftime. You come to our games, and you can get everything from Ice Cube to Sammy Hagar and these massive concerts. But we need to win games. The Raider Nation in Vegas needs to win. And that hasn't happened yet. One playoff appearance. We got a miracle shot. We're in the middle of a Hail Mary. But it's only going to happen if we can get through the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, lastly, JT, I'm coming out in a couple of months to go to the Sphere. Have you been to the Sphere yet? Have you seen a show there? Yes, I've seen you two there twice. It is not even close. It's the greatest concept concept venue in the world. If you're, I'm assuming you're coming out for fish or maybe another I'm show. I'm coming out for or, you, too. I'm coming out for you, too. I'm coming out for you, too. It, 
it's like it's like nothing I've ever seen. I grew up in New York, grew up at Madison Square Garden, uh, seen the Rolling Stones in Europe a few times. Nothing ever is close to this. A matter of fact, if you go see a show at the Sphere, which is you too, you'll leave and you'll never want to go to a concert ever again in Indianapolis or Detroit or Phoenix because they just can't replicate it. It is mind-blowing to see the band. I saw them on the floor, and then I saw them in a suite the two times I saw them. I love being on the floor in the GA. It was so intimate. But you look up, they got scenes, you're inside the Vatican, and you're inside the Vatican. You're not looking outside of it like you're in it, and you're totally immersed in a globe while the concert is going on. It is mind-blowing. You're going to have the best concert experience of your life, I guarantee it. I could see Barry Manilow in Bangladesh, and it would make me not want to see a concert in Detroit. You know <laughs> well, I mean? true on that. And here's the other problem with the Sphere. Only the greatest bands in the world can play there because it's so tight. And it's so dialed in acoustically, you can't put Vince Neil in there, if you know what I mean. Like you can't put, you can't put <laughs> Axel right. in there anymore with his voice. You can only have the level of Bono, Adele, you know, the, con- the conceptual of Fish or Billy Joel. You got to be at the prime of your life as a vocalist to, to perform there, or you'll just get laughed out of the building. You're going to have a blast, and hopefully, uh, We'll catch up when you're out here. Well, I'm sold, man. I'm glad um, I'm glad that I made the decision and pulled the trigger to do it for Christmas. So we look forward to it. JT, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. And Colts and Raiders going to be a big one this weekend. Appreciate the perspective. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Pre- right. Appreciate you. Again, JT the Brick, of course, Raider Nation Radio out in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Sports Network. The conversation brought to you by AAA. And, of course, their legendary roadside service, flat tire, dead battery. If you run out of gas, you like your keys in your car, whatever it might be, AAA always has your back 24-7, 365. Right now, one-year AAA Classic membership has 50% off. And I'm telling you, it pays for itself over the course of the year. Don't miss out on the exclusive offer. Visit AAA.com slash gift or call 844-GO-AAA-GO or swing by your local AAA office today. So based on that, Jimmy, I'm glad I... I bought the tickets to the Sphere, right? Yes. I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. I want full descriptions. I know you'll give them to us, full descriptions when you come back. (laughs) Maybe I'll shoot video. Actually, people posted video, right? Yeah. You know what? Here's the one thing I heard about the Sphere. So for those that don't know, I think people have seen the outside of it. I mean, it's literally a Sphere. It's a round. But the, the interior of it, the entire ceiling and walls and everything is a multi billion dollar high def screen, right? So the whole time that you're they're performing, it's not even what's on the stage. It's all of the the imagery going on around you. It's like you're in the middle of it. I'm just going by what people have told me. Sure. There are four levels, 100 level, 200 level, 300 level, 400 level, right? And depending on where you're seated, if you're in the 1, 200, or 300 level, you have to be in the front 10 rows or else when you look up, you are seeing the underside of the balcony above you. So when you buy tickets for it, it's actually, I think, seven rows. So in other words, the front seven rows of each section are unobstructed in terms of the ceiling, or you just buy the 400 level, which is the closest to the ceiling, but you now have no interruption around you. So I couldn't find anything in the front seven. I mean, I could, but they were like literally like the $9,000 seats. So I'm literally seated 15 rows from the very top of the venue. But it's it was one of the few that has an unobstructed sure. view. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get motion sickness. Just puke the whole way home. Who knows? But 
But looking forward I to it. I won't wish a, that upon you. I don't think anyone will either. I hope you don't get motion February. Speaking, by the way, of being under the weather, JMV was, but he's back, and he will be on the air coming up here, top of the hour, and he is again at Taylor's, is that right? Taylor's Pub and Nora. Pa- Taylor's Pub and Nora. So you still have time if you are out and about to get over and have a cold one and see John. We'll come back, put a tie on all of it here on this Thursday edition of Aquarian Cup. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, it's finally here. The Pop-Tarts Bowl has arrived. We'll take North Carolina State plus 124 on the money line against Kansas State. Later as well, the Alamo Bowl will take place. We'll take Arizona over Oklahoma. Thursday night football tonight, under 14.5 total points for the New York Jets. They are in Cleveland against the Browns. NBA tonight, it's just a Pacers bet. We'll go Pacers money line at plus 105. Tyrese Halliburton over 25.5 total points. Getty, you got anything? Got any bets? I do. Uh, I hate you for that, by the way. Um, I'm going John Morant over 26.5 points. Memphis Grizzlies, he's done that in uh, three of the four games. Ironically, the only game he has was against the Indiana Pacers and no rim protection, really. For the Denver Nuggets, it's not the forte of Nikola Jokic, and I will also take the Grizzlies plus 7.5 in that game. Jake? You think it would be a total ripoff if – the Pop-Tarts commission just poured like a thing of Pop-Tarts on okay. the winning coach? Well, you know that the Pop-Tart trophy is edible, right? I didn't know that, yes. actually. So the the real wager is what form of Pop-Tart is it? Okay, but like flavor. Correct. My question would be, do they do like a questionnaire to each coach before the game and they get to pick and then they like Like they do the, the milk? Th- correct, yeah. yes. I, I don't know. I, it's got to be Hot Foot Sunday. That's the best one. Cookies and cream. But the, what's the signature Pop-Tart? It's one of three. Strawberry? It's strawberry, cherry, or blueberry is the signature Pop-Tart, sure. right? Like the original Pop-Tart. Yeah. I would bet you it's cherry. Hot fudge sundae is great, though. S'more. I don't like the s'mores, though. S'mores I like so brown good. cinnamon sugar, but I feel like brown, some people don't. That's a good one. But I like brown cinnamon. That's a good cinnamon. one. Uh, how about this? You asked if I have any wager. I'll, I'll simply give you guys a trivia question. My wager is that you're not going to know this because it's pretty obscure, actually. All right. Well, I feel uh, You said this. the Jets and Browns are playing, right? Indeed. Significance of that matchup. Historically speaking. Oh. Only because it is, that game is win tonight? Yes. Okay. Joe Flacco used to play for the Jets last year, and then they decided not to bring him back. If you were going with quarterbacks that are vagabond journeymen that have played for both franchises, there's probably a long list there, right? Vinny yeah. Testaverde would be one. Yep. But that, that, that while that is true, Eddie, that's not the answer I'm looking for. Historically speaking, matchup between the Jets and the Browns has significance in the NFL for what reason? It's just very obscure, so I'm not... It doesn't have, like, the only guess I would have, we talked about this two weeks ago, so this is just me throwing a dart at a wall. It has nothing to do with Lennon, correct? Like, that's not No, that, that was the up, right? Dolphins and Patriots. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. But them. you are on the right track. Not in a bad way, but you're on the right track. Not a, not a tragedy. Okay. What is it? The Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets was the very first broadcast in Monday Night Football Ah, okay. I might have gotten there eventually. Which I think this year, one of the years they played, like, at the beginning of the year. Yeah. and I mean, of course, they don't. There's really no throwback uniforms for the Browns, right? I mean, it's kind of the same old deal. Yeah. Uh, JMV, by the way, is up next. He is at, as we mentioned, Taylor's, which is a great place, up at 86th and basically 86th and Westfield uh, in the little strip mall there in the Nora area. So your chance to go up, have a cold one, and then tomorrow we will get you set for Colts Raiders. We will recap the Pacers tonight and the Chicago Bulls. That game 
is an 8 o'clock tip in Chicago. Pre-game Eddie begins at what time? 7.30 tonight with Pat Boylan on the Kroger pre-game show. And Tyrese Halliburton is questionable for that game tonight. And who did I just see was ruled out for that game tonight? Probably Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown is indeed correct, ruled out of that game. So we'll see how that impacts. But as we talked about with Kristen Airy earlier, some of the bigger names for the Bulls are out. But Chicago's kind of put things together. So... Um, you know, they're playing well. We'll see what that means for the Pacers who then come back. It's the New York Knickerbockers on Saturday before the Milwaukee Bucks come back to town. We will come back tomorrow at noon and recap all of it. So John's up next and feeling better, which is a great thing. Have a great afternoon, everybody.